This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Let's get after it. Welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson along with the CTO, Michael Remus, coming off, uh, to be honest, one of the best 16 hours as a sports fan I can remember in a long, long time. First things first, congratulations to Desiree Scott and the Canadian women's national team, gold medal champions at the Olympics. Hope you got up at 7 a.m. to catch it. A thrilling penalty shootout. We'll be all over that. Sean Fitzgerald's going to join us a little bit later on in the program. And how about them Winnipeg Blue Bombers? 19-6 winners yesterday at IG Field in a game that was much, much more than 60 minutes of three-down football as uh, 30,000 packed IG field for a night that many of us have been waiting for for a very long time, and I know many of us will not forget anytime soon. Right off the bat, want to thank all of our sponsors with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk, including our newest sponsor, Canadian Club. I know there was quite a few CCs being poured at the game last night. Uh, Royal Sports, Not Auto Corp, great to see Trev and the Not Gang out there last night. Paramount Services, as well as Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Little Brown Jug, Assiniboia Downs, Breezy Bend, Aikens Lake, and Cool Bet Canada. So we're going to get into the Bombers, the CFL this week. Cannot wait to have John Hodge on, who's really turned into one of the uh, the great minds when it comes to CFL. Certainly does a great job covering the Bombers and the rest of the league, along with Jay Dunk over at Three Down Nation. John is going to join us in a little while, and we will have much more on not just the Canadian women, winning gold, but Andre DeGrasse getting another medal, like, you know, few great performances by the men on the track after it was the women that was carrying the mail and doing the, uh, doing the winning for most of the first week of the Olympics. So it is going to be a great, great show. It's great to have you all with us. Welcome to everyone that is in chat right now. And great to see so many of you at last night's game. Let's get Remus in here. He popped into the game last night and, uh, Man, Rima, I I don't even know where to start. I mean, I was already incredibly fired up to talk about last night's game and just how great it was to be back at IG Field and seeing so many friends, familiar faces, new faces, Winnipeg Sports Talk listeners. Um, and I got to tell you, I mean, uh, we came out, I think everyone was still buzzing after the game and the good vibes just continued right into this morning with our uh, women winning gold and one of the great sports victories in Canadian history, period, regardless of sport. Hey, everyone. I know people in chat. What's up, Rob? Um, yeah, what a, what a great night it was last night. IG Field, great win by the Bombers to kick off the season, and it did carry over into this morning. I'm here for uh, morning sports. I think we should have some, like, 8 a.m. NHL games. Uh, let's have a Jets game at 8 a.m. It's awesome. You wake up, have a little coffee, uh, watch a game, uh, incredible. You know, I was, uh, got pretty nervous for that penalty kick. Uh, Fleming, she's ice in her veins. And there she was again in the, what are they called? Penal- I didn't call it a shootout, called penalty kicks. Shootout? Is that what the proper Penalties, term? I believe. Penalty- it's going to penalties. Yeah. But what drama that was. And I said, you know, it's so funny. Before this, we said, oh, we hate VAR. It sucks. We hate, uh, penalties. They got to figure a better way. I love VAR and I love, I love penalties now, Huss. It's, it was an incredible <laughs> drama. Uh, you know, Sweden missing. Um, you thought Canada had a lead. Then uh, then they missed a couple. Then Sweden had a chance to win over the net. And uh, went to se- more sudden death penalties. 
Uh, I mean, you were shaking while watching it. You had tears in your eyes at the end. It was uh, it was awesome to watch. And Redemption from 2012, and you got a feel for uh, Christine Sinclair, Desiree Scott, who were there, oh. the veterans of the team. Uh, LeBay, you said put her on like a stamp or something. Give her, I don't know, I don't know what we're going to do well, when the her ladies Wikipedia's, come home. Her yeah. Wikipedia's already up, been updated to read her position is the Canadian uh, Minister of National Defense, yes. which I got a kick out of. I mean, she was simply incredible. And that wasn't the first time. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that hadn't really seen much of the tournament up until today. Um, but she was the author of an incredible turnaround in penalties in the quarterfinals against the Brazilians, making saves on the last two shots when Canada absolutely needed to before winning to move on to the semifinal against the United States. That one, fortunately, did not go to extra time. As you mentioned, Jesse Fleming nailing the penalty that gave Canada the one nothing lead and eventually the victory. And Fleming did it again today. Um, that young woman, ice in her veins is probably the best way to put it. I mean, a stone-cold killer from the spot. Um, you know, she did it in earlier in the tournament, did it in the semifinal, and did it again in the penalty shootout after scoring to equalize in the second half. So... Um, there are so many heroes on this team, um, but I, I really do want to single out Winnipeg's Des Scott and Christine Sinclair, the greatest of all time when it comes to um, women's soccer. And those two women have been with this program. They're the two holdovers from the 2012 Olympics with that incredibly controversial 4-3 loss to the United States and one of the greatest games I'm sure that's ever been played in women's soccer. And to see those two finally get the gold medal. And Sinclair, if you watch the medal ceremony, which was on, I don't know, probably an hour or so after uh, the girls won. Sinclair put the medal on Desiree Scott. And you could see they're wearing masks. But you could see them talking to each other about, you know, we finally did it. It's finally, this is real. And then Sinclair getting the medal on and Des kind of behind pointing to her. It was... It was such such a cool moment, and Remo, I'm thinking about this more. I'll be interested to hear people in the in the chat. Like, where does this rank amongst the biggest victories in Canadian sports history? Because I gotta tell you, I think it's up there. Um, you know, we are not a soccer nation, if you will. This is the most prestigious championship in the world when it comes to women's soccer. I mean, along with the World Cup, there's no World Cup this year. This is it. And, um, you know, I, I, and uh, in addition to that question, you wonder what this does long-term for, uh, for, for soccer, period, and not just on the women's side. We've seen the men's game improve over the last few years. The, the men's team, I think, is now, you know, in the conversation to potentially qualify for the World Cup. But the women are world champs. I mean, they are Olympic gold medalists. And you know, I had to tell you, I mean, I, I do think that, you know, we will see the ripple effect years to come, um, you know, for what will go down as, um, you know, certainly the greatest soccer victory in Canadian history. And as I said, I mean, I'm, I'm going to put it up there with any Canadian gold medal in hockey. I mean, in fact, this one might be more so because Canada is almost expected to win. Um, you know, the nature of the two upsets against the heavily favored Americans and Swedes adds a bit more to it 
Not to mention, it's the first time they were able to do it. Um, but it's a fun conversation to have, isn't it? Yeah, and I saw a tweet that was like Canada in team sports at the Summer Olympic Olympics. Um, there's been like a couple other teams, and it happened over 100 years ago. So this is a, a really historic event, especially in soccer. I mean, you mentioned Canada winning gold in hockey. I mean, they're favorites the whole way through. This team was not a favorite against U.S., not a favorite against Sweden. And I mean, they're able to gut out a win, scoring with uh, what with a free you know penalty shot during the game, winning in penalty kicks after extra time. I mean, I know they moved the game because it was so hot hot there, but uh, I don't, I'm curious how much it helped because they looked completely exhausted after the two extra times, drenched in sweat, leaving it all on the field. And I mean, the game had a bit of an ebb and flow. I mean, Sweden came off strong. They got the goal, but I think after that, Canada really settled in, you know, had a couple of chances, had some pressure on. And then I think in the extra time, uh, you know, Sweden was really fighting, had an yeah. uh, amazing chance. I, I still do, I haven't seen the replay, uh, but even the, I, the broadcast team, like, how did that even not not go in? It was on the goal line. You thought Sweden, uh, I guess I don't want to say ended because it's not golden goal, but I mean, it was surely that would have been the game and uh, able to keep keep the, the ball out of the net. I mean, I know we had a historic net at IG Field, but we are buzzing. Uh, social media is buzzing about this uh, women's soccer. And it was a big morning. If you woke up this morning, a huge morning for Canada at the Olympics on the soccer field and also on the athletics track. Yeah, Andre DeGrasse gets uh, another addition to his hardware cabinet, um, leading Canada to a bronze medal in the 4 by 100 meter relay. And... Rimal, I got to tell you, I didn't expect to be watching the 5,000 meters, but I did. And I'm glad I did because Mohamed, the Canadian, gets the first ever medal for Canada in that distance, a silver medal. And I, I, I got to tell you, that race looked so, it was exhausting just to watch it. And I guess it's a 400 meter track. The last lap he did in 55 seconds. I mean, to think about, you know, running 460 meters and then being able to do a sub 100, sub one in minute 400 is mind boggling. And he made up some serious ground. That kick he had to push him from fifth into second in the final stretch, really final 100, 150 meters was amazing. So uh, the men are picking it up on the track right now, but the story really is and will continue to be today, at least out of Tokyo, Canada's women's soccer team becoming Olympic champs. Yeah, I watched the replay of that 5,000. It's funny uh, how, like, the last lap is the fastest after you've already done so many, uh, so many laps there. But And then we had, uh, during the game, we you know, you could tune in for the 4 by 100 Andre DeGrasse, you know, when he got the baton, he was in fifth, ended up in, uh, with the bronze, you know, blowing... Watching him on those straightaways at the end. We saw him in the 200, <laughs> and then it's today. I mean, it's awesome to watch that acceleration, but I agree. I, uh, everyone watching Canada's women's soccer team, uh, incredible uh, performance, winning gold, and um, very emotional. You know, after the loss in 2012, we talked about it, full redemption. Even has Abby Wambach putting out of it from team, yeah, former Team USA member, you know, battled Canada many times, putting out of it. A, vi a video saying, you know, what she was uh, proud of and very happy and emotional for Team Canada. I think everyone was because, again, Canada and soccer, you don't really associate that, but uh, here they are, gold medal champs. 
Well, and, and you know, destruction uh, says it. Soccer is a global game. This might be the biggest sports moment, the biggest win in Canadian sports history when you when you put it that way. Certainly in the conversation, and it's a fun conversation to have. Uh, I know a couple of people have been mentioning they're hoping to see Des Scott, the destroyer on WST. We can tell you we certainly will uh, be looking forward to having Des hopefully next week when the girls come home. Oh, and Cynthia Betancourt's popped in on the Super Chat. Thank you, Cynthia. What a game. Canadian women's soccer team has made us all proud. 2012 London avenged. This gold feels better than them all. Uh, I agree. I absolutely agree. And I told you all you needed to make a point on the weekend watching that Canada-USA game. I hope that you did. And I think a lot of people, if they hadn't before, made sure that they were tuned in this morning uh, to see uh, the Canadian women make history for the first time ever as gold medal champs. So we will talk about that more with Sean Fitzgerald coming up. But I know there's a lot of people that want to talk about last night at IG Field. And we will get into the game uh, with John Hodge, what the Bombers did do so well that reminded many people of the way they dominated the line scrimmage in the in the Great Cup. But Remus, let's talk about the game overall. I, I'll first off ask you, um, you got there a little more closer to game time. Um, what was the experience like? How did you feel walking into the stadium, seeing all those people and feeling that atmosphere that was two years in the making? Yeah, it was, uh, it was wild. There was a lot of firsts for me that I hadn't done in a long time. Uh, coming into the game, I did walk in a bit late. I really had no, didn't have much of a wait at the gate I was at, so that was pretty good. Um, a lot of people hadn't been been uh, in you know in a crowd of that size for a long time, but it was very cool to see some CFL football. I was following my DraftKings lineups uh, the whole time. You know, did a number of laps around the concourse. Got got some great walking in and saw a lot of people I hadn't seen. I, I knew people and people were shouting out at me saying how much they love what we're doing here. So I I had a great time. I'm looking forward to going again. You know, the game. Maybe it wasn't the most exciting game, especially um, you thought the Ticats maybe were going to take it when they scored first, but full credit to Bombers. They played great. Uh, you know, thought, you know, the total of 51, it went way under. But, uh, I mean, Zach Caleros showed, uh, you know, that he's the same guy he was before. You know, flashes of uh, that famous play where he scrambled and found it was a Darvin Adams in the corner of the end zone. I think he tried to do that a couple times yesterday. But no, no Harris, no Adams. I mean... Olivera stepped up. Kenny Lawler, who Milt Stegall said he's going to double his output from last year. Uh, it looked like, it looked like Milt uh, had some inside info yesterday. But, I mean, awesome experience, and I can't wait to go back. I think a couple things. We've seen comments in the chat maybe need to be worked out on the logistics end. <laughs> and we can, we can certainly get to that, and I can revisit one of my bad takes from yesterday. But uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to uh, the rest of the CFL Week 1 this weekend. Yeah, no doubt. And and I just have to say, I sort of echo what Rima said on a personal level. I mean, I got there early. Uh, I did mention I had a bunch of koozies on me and I figured that, you know, a few people would say, dude, I, I got in the one side and made it halfway down the west or yeah, the west side of the stadium. Uh, and they were pretty much all gone. Um, that was and, and the response that we got um, just for people mentioning how much they're enjoying the podcast and the show was, um, was overwhelming. So I, I got to say thanks to everyone. It was great to see so many people in the, on that are regulars here. I saw met Jeff Kabilis, an OG from the start of Winnipeg sports talk it was great to see him, but 
everybody that came out, everyone that watched yesterday and got one, anyone that asked later on when I was out, I'll do it again for the next game coming up next Friday. Uh, so um, anyways, just a personal note. Thanks to everyone. It was it was just overwhelming to see everybody again and to be in an atmosphere where everyone was so happy and so excited to be there. And um, as I said, it was a long time coming. I know I did see uh, I did see Carrie Owen here, uh, Manitoba Small Town Drive-Ins Reviews. Check the channel, by the way. Very, very great stuff. Uh, concession lineups need to be addressed. Now, I think all of us, bottom line, we're just thankful that we had the opportunity to go to the game and we're getting back some semblance of nor- normalcy. And I, having worked on the side of the teams before getting into this side of work, I know how much goes into opening a season and I can't even imagine what it would be like to do it with that sort of layoff when it comes to things like concessions. And maybe the most important thing is staffing. Like we know how local restaurants right now are having a hell of a time getting people to work literally in all positions across the industry. So I imagine that, you know, there may be some significant challenges uh, when it comes to just having enough people to staff everything. But I mean, everyone came there early. They were ready to drink. They were ready to eat. And unfortunately, and I did say, I mean, I was really nervous because I thought the cashless uh, experience was going to be a bit of a disaster. And it was. I mean, uh, I will stand by that. I mean, just the transactions took so much longer. They have to punch everything in, get it there. And I mean, the the tipping, I'm not sure how much of a hit the staff took for it. But I mean, when you take that out and the tips go way down because of the way that the, the, the transactions are taking probably even harder to get people to work. Um, but I'll say one thing about Wade Miller. Uh, he has tackled every challenge head on. I'm sure that that will be the feedback from the game. And, and listen, at the end of the day, this is a business too. Like, I don't know how much money was left on the table last night because people just physically didn't have the time or the will to wait half an hour in a lineup to get beers or get food. But that is something that they're going to need to have to address because the bottom line is it affects the bomber's bottom line. Um, but overall, listen, that they, we knew there were going to be some hiccups. I will say this, Reem. Uh, I was quite impressed with how um, the entering the building went. Um, I was there at a very busy time. The lines were long, but for the most part, the way the Vax uh, proof and ID happened earlier, then going in to do the ticket, um, it really only took us five or 10 minutes to get through. And I think a lot of people thought that if you were getting there at the height of the crowd, you'd be talking about 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And and that really wasn't the case. The long lines wasn't for to show your ID, their, your Vax card. It was certainly to uh, get food or beverage once you got into the stadium because everyone seemed to be ready to go and ready to spend money last night at IG Field. Yeah, I had some friends who took out money to spend there and like, oh, they won't even, I won't even take it. And I said, I'll just get to it. I said yesterday here, Hus, that uh, the dev machines go quick. I guess when you're at the supermarket and you can scan it and it comes up with the price, you can pay for things quickly. Yeah. But when they have to punch in the price every time, yeah, that that definitely uh, takes a while. So like the paying part, I agree, it took two seconds. But it's the, well, and the uh, other part the of it is it that ready. there's yeah, there's no hawkers. I mean, yeah. usually, you know, if you have that and you have the ability to have hawkers in the stands and in some other areas, it takes a lot of stress off of you know some of those locations where people are going to get specific items. Um, I have no doubt that it'll be improved for the next game and it'll probably be better after that. And they might need a few more people. They might need a few more places to sell some of these products we're discussing. 
But as I said, these are good problems to have for us because the big problem that we've had for the last year and a half is there's been no damn CFL, no Blue Bomber football, and we've been waiting for this party to uh, party to get going. So overall, I mean, what a night. All I can say, I mean, it was um, it was the, the night we were all waiting for it, and the best part about it was that the home team came through and stepped up with another big-time win in impressive fashion. And to do that against a Hamilton Tiger Cat team that, let's not forget, came in as a pretty significant favorite. Shout out to everyone that jumped on that line as soon as it came out with the Bombers. We are getting it, I think, a plus 152 on Cool Bet. It finished at around plus 110. So there was definitely some uh, some value on the Bombers. And, uh, and I got to tell you, Remo, um, if you were wondering whether guys like Willie Jefferson and Adam Big Hill were ready to go, um, we found out very quickly that the Blue Bomber defense is legit. Uh, we kind of joked earlier that the the TSN turning point to the game may have been the two-point convert after Hamilton's first touchdown because that was about it for Hamilton when it came to really pressing the Bomber defense. It was just a masterful performance. And I'll tell you, a guy that got a lot of heat for a long time in this city that deserves a lot of credit right now is Richie Hall because you're putting in a defensive secondary and D-backs that have not played in the Canadian Football League before against guys like Brandon Banks and Jeremiah Masoli. Uh, those players stepped up. Uh, but it all started on the defensive line with the attack of Jefferson uh, and Jackson Jeffcoat going at Jeremiah Masoli, um, keeping him on his toes throughout it. I mean, just a brilliant defensive performance to Richie Hall and the gang. And as you mentioned, I mean, as far as Zach Caleros goes, he um, he was running around like Kyler Murray yesterday. And uh, <laughs> he uh, got it done. And it was just nice to see them control the football. Uh, but the big story offensively, of course, was Brady Oliveira. Winnipeg kid coming in in the spot vacated by Andrew Harris. And uh, listen, the Bombers did not miss a beat. I mean, I got to tell you, Remo, for a young man to come in with that sort of pressure and spotlight on him, uh, I don't think it could have gone any better for Brady Oliveira unless he maybe got into the end zone and got to do a uh, maybe a little touchdown dance. Yeah, that was the big question for fantasy players like myself. Uh, who was getting the majority of the touches? This is what I look for. Was going to be Oliveira or Augustine? Were they going to split? And uh, it was... Definitely Oliveira taking the load. Got off to a bit of a slow start. And then um, I think as the game went on and, you know, they had the lead and they're looking nice that he was able to pick up steam and ended with a great 126, uh, was over 120 yards. So he seems to be like another Winnipeg guy. Uh, so that was that was great. in the defense, Willie Jefferson coming to the pick, getting the big fumble off uh, Brandon Banks. I mean, this is a Hamilton offense that is supposed to be explosive and the Bombers basically had a repeat of uh, what we saw in the Grey Cup. So I think you got to be excited. I think the Bombers definitely uh, favorites. I mean, I think Hamilton was Grey Cup favorites, but hey, the Bombers beat Hamilton. So, I mean, you're looking for a repeat. Uh, things are looking... I know it's one game. I know it's one game, but things are, are looking... On on track, they look well, like they picked up where they left off. Basically, well, it, you know exactly. You know what Ric Flair says: "To be the man, you gotta beat the man." Woo! And right now, the Bombers are still the man in the Canadian Football League. So uh, uh, it's just a heck of a start. We're gonna talk all about it with John Hodge from Three Down Nation coming up in just a second. Uh, before we do that, I want to shout out a couple of our sponsors, including our newest sponsor, Canadian Club. Uh, we saw a lot of CC being poured yesterday in between the Jim Beam Stillhouse and some of the other locations. Uh, and it was great to see the Beam Suntory 
uh, crew. Let's face it, that North End last night was rocking from 6 p.m. right until the final gun at the end of the game. Uh, and that Jim Beam Stillhouse, the uh, Brugal Rum Hut, was quite uh, it was quite a spot that everyone was uh, having some fun at. And of course, the great products. And it's great to see uh, Canadian Club and the other products of Beam Suntory being such great sponsors, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And we are so excited to partner up with them throughout the season uh, to have some great contests. We'll have some great giveaways uh, with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. So if you're getting ready for the weekend, we've kind of talked a lot about beer, but if you're looking to go a little different direction, maybe go and pick up a little CC best in the biz since 1858. Um I saw a lot of folks that had popped into Royal Sports and grabbed whether it was Blue Bomber championship gear or jerseys for the game last night, and I imagine those will continue. I did text Greg over at Royal and said, keep me up to date on championship shirts for our Canadian women's soccer team. I don't know if they could bet enough stock for the amount of people that are going to want to pick up a commemorative thing for that Canadian great victory. Uh, but, of course, on the weekend, if you're thinking about doing shopping, whether it's to get ready for hockey season, on the ice, or off with incredible licensed merchandise, or maybe the expanded fitness gear, still a lot of time to ride bikes. They've got a great selection there. It's all at Royal Sports, 650 Rally and EK, and 750 Pemina Highway. And a shout-out to T-Not, Trevor Knott, and Not Auto Corp. We had Milt on. Uh, Trev's very excited about the Milt Stiegel version 2.0 commercial that's going to be coming out very soon. It was a pleasure to have Milt on the program with us yesterday. Um, not been a great longtime supporter of the Bombers. A uh, number of the staff was out there. It was great to see them last night. And uh, they're back to work today. So if you're thinking about getting a new ride, check them out. The incredible inventory they have, including a number of Teslas on the lot over at Waverly and McGilvery. You can find out more online at not.ca. Uh, they'll service your vehicle as well, or maybe you need to make it look like new again. Talk to them about detailing. It's all there at not.ca. Visit them at Waverly and McGilvery. All right, Sean Fitzgerald coming up a little later on. We'll talk more about the significance of the Canadian women's soccer win earlier today in Tokyo. But right now, let's talk some Blue Bomber football with John Hodge from Three Down Nation. John, what's up? Thanks so much for doing this, and uh, it's great to have you on the program. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great, Hustler. The CFL's back, so you know that I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, yeah, it is back. We were all back. We'll get to the game in a second, um, but I know you wrote on this. This was, I mean, we've been talking about it for a very long time, I, I mean, really from the moment that it seemed that the league was going to play this year. We circled August 5th on the calendar, Peg City, Grey Cup rematch, but it was so much more than a game. Um, give me your thoughts on just arriving to the stadium, seeing all those people, the banner raising. But before we actually got to the football, uh, I think it was a win for the entire community. It was, Huss. I mean, the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the CFL have been a huge part of my life for as long as I can remember. Um, lifelong Winnipegger parents uh still season ticket holders were my entire childhood i grew up going to games idolizing guys like doug brown milt stiegel i'm i'm part of a generation of winnipeggers too who didn't have a jets the jets moved away when i was when i was a little kid the bombers were my team and the bombers were the team of of all of my friends growing up they they, they were our number one and the number two team was a really distant second um so to to come off of a year right where where there was no CFL football and 
I don't want to sound hyperbolic, but the reality with these XFL talks is there was a reasonable chance that the CFL wasn't going to return the way that it left in 2019. It was going to return looking very differently. And I would also suggest that had the 2021 season not happened, not, not, not gotten off, there's a chance it wouldn't have returned at all. And so going through an off season of turmoil an off season of questions an off season of uncomfortable conversations and doom and gloom, it, it felt incredible to be back in the building with 30,000 fully vaccinated people celebrating, you know, the, the great cop celebrating the return of the CFL celebrating, just getting a chance to sit next to somebody you don't live with and you're not related to. <laughs> it, uh, it, it was one of, the, one of the most amazing nights I think I've ever had, and it's not, not one I'll soon forget. I'll say that. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. And, of course, you guys were up in the press box. I was down in the, uh, in the seats, and I didn't realize that there was one moment last night. It was after Kenny Lawler's touchdown, and we're whooping it up with the guys we're sitting with, and then turned around and started high-fiving strangers. I mean, that 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 hasn't happened in a long, long time. And just simple acts like that sort of really did make, I think, everybody feel like uh, hopefully we're through the worst of it and on to a, a, you know, a much brighter day. And I'll tell you that, not to get down any sort of COVID uh, rabbit holes, um, but I think it also shows the effectiveness of the vaccine. And I mean, I think of how bad of a spot that we were in as a community a few months ago to be where we are today. Uh, I think we should all have an incredible amount of gratitude to the doctors and scientists that have paved the way to allow us to get back to that. All that being well said, said, all that being said, John, the Bombers went out and did it again. Um, football, at it can be very complicated, but it's also very simple. And if you dominate your opponent on the line of scrimmage, you're going to win 9 out of 10 times, maybe 19 out of 20 or 99 out of 100. It happened again last night. How impressed were you with just the physicality on the defensive side of the football as well as the Bombers' O-line uh, paving the way for Brady Oliveira to have such an incredible debut as a starting running back? Well, it was it was very impressive. And and honestly, I was I was getting deja vu going back to the 2019 Grey Cup. Let's not forget the Ticats were, were heavily favored in that game. Uh, they'd only lost three games all season. They'd won 16. And I think their three losses were by a combined 13 points, if I'm remembering that correctly. And then, of course, the Bombers, you know, won the game by three touchdowns. So last night was was a little closer. But honestly, you know, to 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 watch the, the offensive line just improve as the game went on, because Brady Oliveira started slow in the first quarter. I think he only had two carries for something like three yards. Um, but going into the third quarter, the fourth quarter, there was a stretch late in the game, and it was obvious the Bombers were trying to kill the clock, right? And to me, the ultimate sign of a great running game is when you can still run the ball when the defense knows that, that the run is coming, right? There, there's no question about is it going to be, you know, play action, are they going to pull the ball, run pass up, whatever. No, they're giving the ball to their 225-pound running back. And there were four plays in a row in the fourth quarter where Brady Oliveira ran for 10 or more yards. Um, which is ridiculous when you're, when you're, when you're moving the football at will like that and generating first down seemingly effortlessly, I think that's sensational. And when it comes to Oliveira, I mean, this is a guy, he's 225 pounds. Some running backs tend to be the nail. Uh, Brady Oliveira tries to be the hammer whenever possible. And he certainly did that last night. And it was obvious to me that Hamilton's defense simply was wearing down 
I mean, let's let's be honest. It's not fun tackling a 225-pound running back who's got his head and shoulders lowered looking to deliver the blow. No, and any any football player will tell you that. Off maybe, maybe off the record, but um if if they won't say it out loud, they're feeling it. It's not fun to do. And uh Oliveira, I mean, he was sensational at North Dakota. Even in the four-down game there, he averaged 5.6 yards per carry, um, pushing the pile as a big body, powerful back. So he obviously had a great game, was fabulous to see. I mean, he was already a special night, but then to have a, a brand new Winnipegger um, in his, not his first career game, but almost his first career game, seeing as he barely played in 2019, uh, suffering a broken ankle, having to go through surgery. For him to come out on that special night, you know, where Winnipeggers are getting the chance to celebrate the banner and everything, to have him rush for over 100 yards and really seal that game in the fourth quarter was just the cherry on top of, of what was a great night for bomber fans at IG field. You know, it absolutely was. And I'll tell you what really stood out to me about Oliveira, because, you know, I, like you, I mean, we knew what he had done as a college player. He was, you know, a guy the bombers really wanted. They targeted him in the draft. They picked him. And of course he got knocked out early last season, but was still around the team when he finally got a chance to play. You mentioned those first couple carries. There wasn't a lot going on second quarter. When he started getting a little bit more momentum, the thing that impressed me the most, it was when he was getting tackled, he would get hit and he would always get an extra two or three yards, just moving his body or continuing his forward momentum. And John, all that adds up and certainly helps you move the chains. And then, as you mentioned, the confidence started getting, you know, he started getting more confidence and the bomber offensive line started to take over. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I think it was uh, maybe foreshadowing what was to come when the Bombers came out of that tunnel. And who was leading the way? 51 and 66. And uh, <laughs> the big guys up front, the anchors of that offensive line, uh, they seemed to get better throughout the game. And uh, what well, we saw just, uh, you know, I don't want to say a humiliation, but I mean, they kicked their ass on the line of scrimmage all night and it got worse for Hamilton as the game went on. And uh, I know Michael Shea doesn't show his emotions very often, but he, uh, I'm sure, had a big smile in the coach's office after the game for the way that his unit um, continued to get better throughout the game. Well, this, this I think, is going to become, honestly, a storyline this season. I mean, we all know that Winnipeg's offensive line is is excellent. I would argue it's the best in the CFL. Um, I said that in 2019, and guess what? It's the same old line that that they fielded through the through the Great Cup run and and the end of the regular season. Um, not being said, looking around the offensive lines around the CFL, there have been a lot that have been ravaged by injury. The Riders play tonight. They are essentially starting their fourth and fifth string tackles because Taryn Vaughn had surgery. Uh, Tacoby Cofield retired. Cyrus Kawanjo retired. And all of a sudden, they're, they're on guys four and five. Um, and that's not dissimilar to a lot of teams. Calgary starting a rookie. Um, if you look at a guy like, uh, you know, in, in Edmondson, Colin Kelly is out. Derek Dennis didn't report. Um, so there, there are a ton of guys who are missing league-wide, big bodies. Uh, last night for Hamilton, Chris Van Zyl, arguably, I mean, he is the league's reigning most outstanding offensive lineman, probably the best pass blocker in the league. Though I, I would imagine Stanley Bryant would have something to say about that. He didn't play. Uh, so the Bombers, the fact that it's the strength of their team, really, is that offensive line. And they're healthy really, I think, sets them head and shoulders of everybody else. Because everybody else in this league is dealing with an injury or retirement somewhere. Uh, we saw it last night. Hamilton, that was that was 80% of their starting offensive line. Van Zyl was out, and they had uh, K. Okafor at right tackle in his second career start. But that's 80% of their starting unit. 
and the Bombers defensive front seven chewed it up, right? Um, so if the Bombers are in a position where they can say, hey, Hamilton's got a really good defensive line. Granted, Taylor Rod didn't play, but it's, still, it's a very good defensive line. And look, we did a great job opening holes for Brady. We did a, a fantastic job protecting Zach. Um, I think that's a really exciting thing for the Blue Bombers because it's a position, a position of strength that that honestly not many teams in this league have right now. Well, and, and, and let, just before we move to the defensive side of the football, uh, I want to ask you about Caleros. Um, you know, his mobility was really impressive. And, you know, for many of us, myself included, it was the first time we got a chance to see Zach Caleros play in Winnipeg. Because, of course, the game that he started, his first start against Calgary was that final game of the regular season, was also the weekend that the Jets and Calgary were playing in Regina. So, I mean, I remember watching that with a ton of Bomber fans that were all there for the hockey game on television and we all remember the play to Darvin Adams that got made people thinking like, holy smokes. And not to mention when he got smoked in that game and everyone thought, oh my God, here we go again <laughs> and got up and ended up winning it. So it was kind of cool for Zach Caleros, who is still yet to lose in a Bomber jersey to do what he did. But man, some of the scrambling that, that he made, and probably a couple throws that he would like to have back after he created a bunch of time. But it's just such a different style of quarterback that we've seen in the past and I think that bodes very well for a bomber offense that without a Chris Strebler won't be able to, despite how good the running game was last night. I don't think they can run or uh, can rely on it as much as they did in 2019 on the way to that great cup. Yeah. Let, let, let's, let's be honest. Matt Nichols did a fantastic job in Winnipeg of protecting the football, right? Which is why he got that game manager, you know, moniker or tag attached to him because, you know, he'd go out there and he'd throw for 220 yards uh, but no interceptions, which is great. Um, but the issue is he can't, you know, he, he can't move the ball with his feet terribly well, um, at least not at this point of his career. Um, not, I wouldn't call him a sitting duck in the pocket, but not, not that mobile, not that elusive. Chris Streveler is maybe the most mobile and elusive quarterback to play in the CFL in the last 20 years. The downside is he could not protect the football. He threw a lot of interceptions, uh, particularly during his string of starts in the middle of 2019. Zach Claris brings both. Right, he brings he brings the mobility. He's uh, he's able to to buy time with his feet. He didn't take off and run that much last night, but frankly, I don't think this team is interested in having him take off and run that much. Uh, but what he does do well, right, is buy time behind the line of scrimmage because when the offensive line gives him a ton of time, and then occasionally, right, he can generate more, create space for himself, create time for himself. Uh, we saw him really extend some plays last night. You mentioned he, he there were a couple of plays he extended that missed on, but there were a couple of plays he extended that hit on. And um, you know, it, when when you've got dominance along the offensive line, right? Uh, people manhandling the front uh, of your of the opposing defense, and then you can add in that special element, which is, hey, by the way, now we're going to throw the playbook out because we're four Mississippi's into this play. Things have broken down. And I'm just going to go to the schoolyard, right, and, and and run back and forth, make guys miss. And, oh, look, there happens to be Nick Dembski eight yards down the field, and nobody's within 12 yards of him, right? And he's going to go up the sideline for 49. All of a sudden, that adds a brand new dimension that, again, wasn't necessarily there with Matt Nichols or Kostrebler. No, no disrespect to those two guys. I just think Caleros does a good job of kind of marrying their respective strengths in terms of protecting the football and also generating right some time, some some plays with his legs. So yes, he he was very good. And you're right. There's a reason he's five and zero, right? As the starter of Winnipeg Blue Bombers, he won uh, at home against Calgary last year, late in the season. 
Uh, he led the team to the, to the three postseason victories, and now he's he's one to know as the starter. And if I had to place some some bets right now, which I probably will later today, I think he's going to be six and zero to start off his his tenure as the starting QB. I like it, of course, back to back with the Argos coming up over the next couple of weeks, which will be interesting. We'll get a chance to see Toronto for the first time taking on the Calgary Stampeders this weekend. Um, going in uh, and really throughout camp, John, the big question was the defensive secondary. New players, unfamiliar players coming in, guys that hadn't been in with CFL experience before for the most part going in. And, you know, there were maybe some nervous moments when the Ticats went down and put it in for six on the first uh, first drive. But holy smokes, did they step up? And we gave a lot of credit to the guys up front, and they certainly do deserve it. But uh, you got some game balls for the new guys in the defensive backfield? Well, they, they had a great game. I mean, and, and let's also remember, there was an extra test last night when Josh Johnson went down early in the first quarter and didn't return. I mean, Josh Johnson was already playing out of position. He was brought in uh, to Winnipeg to take over one of those two spots in the secondary vacated by Winston Rose and Marcus Sales after 2019. Um, well, Mercy Maston goes down in camp, tears his Achilles. So Josh Johnson moves to strong side linebacker. And now you've got two rookie starters on the boundary. You got Dietrich Nichols, and you got um, uh, D. Alford, DeAndre Alford, and uh, yeah, Alford got beaten for that early touchdown pass to Jalen Acklin. He got beaten as well for a 37-yard gain in the second quarter. But honestly, both plays, particularly the touchdown, if you go back and watch it, the coverage is excellent. Jalen Acklin just makes an unbelievable play. The ball's in the perfect spot. If it was an inch shorter, uh, it probably gets batted down. So you know, the offense gets paid too. Uh, no DB is perfect, uh, but that said, in the entire second quarter, and, and I mean, granted too, the pressure had a lot to do, I think, with disrupting what the Ticats were trying to do on offense, but when you look at it and you go, okay, so Dietrich Nichols at half in his first CFL game, I think gave up two receptions to Jalen Marshall for something like 17 yards. Dietrich Nichols got beat for two long ones and then settled down. Let's also remember, they're playing the boundary side. That means it's it's the short side of the field. Most most teams play their best receivers to that side. Hamilton's a little different because Brandon Banks actually plays the field side, the wide side of the field. But to have two raw rookies back there playing that well with without you know a veteran like Josh Johnson on the field, because then what happens is Brandon Alexander, the safety, right, who's kind of running everything and is in charge of getting guys to, to play and fill their assignments properly, he goes down to Sam to fill Josh Johnson's spot. And Noah Hallett comes in as safety. Well, Noah Hallett's never played the CFL. He was a second-round pick <laughs> out of McMaster in 2020. He's in his first career game. So now you're in a position where, okay, we've got six secondary spots. we got three guys making their first CFL appearance ever. And you're going up a former East Division MOP, Brandon Banks, Jalen Acklin, and, and all these stars on the Ticats. So to, to hold the, the Ticats under 250 yards receiving – uh, to have Dietrich Nichols be outstanding, to have DeAndre Alford play very well, uh, albeit with the two receptions. Willie Jefferson spoke very highly of them, and John Trell Rockamore as well, who deserves a, a mention. He's in for the injured Kyrie Wilson at, at Will Linebacker. He made a couple of big tackles, and he made the game-sealing interception. Like, you know, w- when it comes to good football teams in any league, but especially the CFL, you got to reload, right? The rosters aren't very big. You have to, when an injury happens, have a guy to step up and preferably have him be young. And uh, the Bombers definitely succeeded in that on defense last night because that defense looked exactly like it did in 2019 
and that's minus two all-stars, right, in, in sales and rows. So full credit to those young guys. Absolutely. John Hodge is with us from Three Down Nation here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Other question I think a lot of people had was certainly the kicking game. And it was interesting. I think Michael Shea still has some questions about the kicking game based on some of the decisions that he made in the game. But um, overall, how would you assess the Bombers special teams last night? I thought Mark Leggio, the rookie, did a really nice job punting the football. Um, his 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 gross punting was not great. But uh, I've talked to a number of, of specialists in the CFL, and honestly, they say, you know, gross punting is a meaningless stat. Um, net punting is what matters. How much are you actually advancing the football down the field um, when the opposing offense comes on? And his directional, I think I think almost every one of his punts landed between the yard line or the the, the number and, uh, and the sideline, uh, a number that went out of bounds. But also remember the CFL, you're not allowed, like the NFL, to just punt out of bounds willy-nilly. You have to do it within... Uh, I think it's 20 to 25 yards of the end zone. And he did that successfully routinely. Um, the kicking game, like Tyler Crepina, he doesn't do kickoffs and he doesn't punt. Uh, that's Legio. Uh, Crepina is a journeyman. Uh, he's been around a bunch of places, originally out of McMaster. I think this is his fifth team in something like six years. Um, and yeah, the Bombers had a chance to end the first quarter to kick a 51-yard field goal. They didn't do it. They had a chance in the third quarter to kick a 45-yard field goal, they didn't do it. And the wind was really not a factor. I was sitting in the press box with a perfect uh, perfect eye, eyesight line at the flags at the top of the uprights. The wind, wind wasn't a factor. If anything, it would have actually been at his back a little bit for the 51-yarder. So O'Shea talked about it after the game to the media, and he was just honest. He said, hey, Brandon Banks is back there. He had two missed field goal return touchdowns in 2019. And when you're you're kicking a field goal, particularly a long one, you you probably got six O linemen out there, plus your kicker. So if you've got right seven of your twelve guys on the field, you know, no disrespect to the kicker and the O lineman, but guys who don't get paid to tackle players like Brandon Banks, and you've got one of the greatest returners in CFL history back there. O'Shea just said honestly, at that point, I'm I'm very much prepared to just say, you know what. Let's trust our defense to get the ball back. And Mark Leggio did his job punting out of bounds, burying the Ticats deep, and the defense did a great job of getting the ball back. So it's hard to criticize that. But I will say, I do think the Bombers missed Justin Medlock for obvious reasons. He's one of the greatest kickers in CFL history for a reason. And that is something to keep in mind because the, the, the game didn't call for the Bombers to try those field goals yesterday. But if, let's say, in week two, it's you know fourth quarter and the Bombers are down two points with three minutes to play, you're damn sure they're going to want to kick that 51-yard field goal or that 45-yard field goal. So certainly something to keep an eye on. I don't know what Tyler Capena's range is, but obviously Osh wasn't super comfortable with the 51-yarder last night or the 45-yarder. So I'm, I'm interested to see what is the range and um, can he can Capena win the confidence of this coaching staff? John Hodge is our guest. Give him a follow on Twitter at John D. Hodge. And you, if you're not already following and uh, checking out on the daily three down nation, what are you waiting for? John, I just have to do commend you. I mean, Justin Dunk's been doing great work for a long time. Seeing how you have grown into this role and making such great content for CFL fans has just been phenomenal for those of us that eat it up. Uh, if people just give a quick plug for three down nation for people that haven't seen the site and uh, fill us in on what you guys coming up, got coming up on the weekend into next week, coming out of the first week of CFL football. 
Yeah, Three Down Nation, we are the, I mean, I'd like to think the number one CFL news publication out there. We we cover the CFL as much as anybody. Uh, we also have some content surrounding youth sports, Canadian junior football, and we follow former CFL players and Canadian players in the NFL as well. We got the podcast, we got video, we got socials, we got we got everything you want. So I uh, appreciate the kind words, Huss. We're obviously a huge fan of you and your show as well. Uh, so, uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter. Check me out uh, uh, on uh, Three Down. We got, I, I think yesterday we published 18 articles about the CFL and its return. So, you, uh, if you don't like one article, we hope you like the other 17. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for doing this. And uh, I certainly hope we can do this uh, often throughout the season. Uh, people have been loving it. And uh, it's exciting for a lot of people around here to talk about the Blue Bombers. But, Overall, the Canadian Football League is just so great to have the three-down game back. Absolutely. And Huss, anytime you want me on this show, I'll be here. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll uh, hopefully let's do something next week, heading into week number two. John, thanks so much. Looking forward to what you and JD have cooking at Three Down Nation this week and into next. Appreciate it, boss. Anytime, Huss. R- right on. There he is, John Hodge. That was awesome. Great to have him on the program again. Uh, tonight, it is the Riders and Lions kicking off in a sold-out Mosaic field, and tomorrow, CFL doubleheader uh, in Calgary and in Edmonton. All right, we're going to get to the Olympics coming up right away with Sean Fitzgerald. Really looking forward to that. Just before we do that, I want to give a big shout-out to Paramount Services Limited and Carrie O'Brien, who um, I actually traveled home from the game with last night. Uh, we were there, seeing a lot of happy Bomber fans coming out, so it was great to see KO. And uh, known Carrie for a long time, a great friend of the program, and of course with Paramount Services Limited, which is a full facility maintenance company that serves commercial HVAC, plumbing, electrical, and handyman services to uh, probably most of your favorite convenience stores and restaurants uh, here in the city and in Manitoba and across Western Canada. If you're in that business and if you have any needs, you definitely should give them a call. You can ask for Carrie or go to their website at ParamountServicesLTD.com. And as I mentioned before, they're also always looking, uh, especially right now, for people with any experience when it comes to HVAC, plumbing, electrical, and handiwork. And if you do that, kick um, onto the careers section or the link on our sponsor page at winnipegsports.com and find out more. Big thanks to Paramount Services Limited. Hit them online at paramountservicelimited.com. I know there was a few people that hit the Boston pizza before and definitely some happy Bomber fans that were there afterwards. The summer menu is here and people are back at BP when you're there, check out the Burger Italiano and the Honey Dill Fried Chicken Sandwich. And um, I'm sure those uh, Bulldog Margarita Fish Bowls and White Sangria Smashes were tasting a little bit better for Bomber fans after that big win. Make it Boston Pizza tonight at any of the local locations here in Manitoba in, in and around the province. And uh, I think we saw Nick in the house. Uh, there could very well be some championship Canadian DQ cakes being made uh, check out our friends Nick and Nikki. Four DQs in the city and province. DQ Niverville, Northgate, Polo Park, and St. Anne's. Victory blizzards for everyone. And as we mentioned, if uh, now that gatherings are allowed again and people are getting together, be the hero at the next time you uh, get together with folks. Bring one of those DQ cakes. You can hit them up online on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. They'll get it all set up for you ready. They can just pop by one of the four Nick and Nikki DQs to pick up. All right. Let's talk about our Canadian Golden Girls and everything going on at the Tokyo Olympics. 
an absolute pleasure to welcome in from the Athletics, Sean Fitzgerald to Winnipeg Sports Talk. Sean, what's going on? Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Uh, what uh, you know, the entire Olympics has been so much fun, and it was a weird, weird Olympics. And I know there was a lot of people that said it should be canceled. And listen, I, I they minimized any sort of dangers without fans there. But I got to tell you, with some of these performances we've seen from our Canadian athletes, you just wonder what would have happened, what we would have been deprived of. Um, we have to start it off with this win today. Canada beats Sweden in a thrilling penalty shootout to win a gold medal. At the start, we were talking with folks that were in on the chat. I'm wondering, and it'll probably take us some time for perspective on this, Sean, but where this ranks amongst the greatest victories in Canadian sports history, not soccer history, but all sports, certainly from a team perspective. Yeah, no, this is a team that, I mean, it's been building uh, for two generations. Uh, I think you can probably trace it back. I mean, obviously, has roots in the prairies and in, in, you know, the mid eighties when the program actually physically started, like we like to think it started, you know, back when I was a kid in the seventies or in the, the black and white era of the original six, but no, it didn't start till about 1986. Um, but I think it really started hitting its stride, maybe not coincidentally uh, when Christine Sinclair arrived and really uh, 2002 uh, world championship in Edmonton. And then you can see the incremental uh, steps forward, but yeah, I mean, for a long time, this was Christine Sinclair and team, right? Like this was Christine Sinclair, um, somebody who played with, um, you know, that Canadian grit and determination, um, but on top of that otherworldly skill for years and years and years. So, you know, you build into what might be and what has been built is, you know, the greatest game of all time, which is the 2012 Olympic semifinal between Canada and the U.S. when Christine Sinclair had a hat trick against one of the most powerful teams that's ever walked the face of the earth and ends up getting robbed and they lose 4-3. Um, this was a vengeance game. And this was, um, you know, that, that win against the U.S. in the semis here. And then today was a, um, sort of a, a vindication of a career's worth of work, of, of a multi-generational uh, growth plan, um, of a team that has been on the cusp and is now Olympic champion. I think that what this could be, um, could be monumental. Uh, we could look back at this as, you know, where the real push for women's league started domestically in Canada. Um, we could look back as we're looking back now as, you know, this is a moment where, you know, a generation of Canadian children were inspired to do something. And, and we've already seen it here that, you know, there's, there are women on this team who were inspired by what happened in 2012. So, you know, a decade from now, imagine what we're talking about. No, I, 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 could not agree more. I mean, I think the ripple effect of this victory will be felt for years and potentially decades. Uh, hopefully it will be. I mean, uh, because it's all positive and we see the forward momentum. I had two tiny idiot children screaming around in my basement at nine o'clock Eastern time this morning, <laughs> screaming. One's a 10 year old boy. One's a six year old girl. I mean, it sounded like a prison riot downstairs. Like <laughs> they will remember this and you know, they're both in youth soccer. So, you know, assuming the, the youth soccer system maybe improves a little bit, which is a whole other uh, discussion. Um, I think there's going to be kids in basements across Canada who watch the game this morning who are taking real meaningful memories away from this. Well, you know, and, and, and I'll, I'll give the United States a lot of credit. I mean, first of all, for their women's program, the way they built a true superpower in women's soccer and set the bar for countries like Canada, knowing that you need to be that good if you even want to be in the conversation. Uh, when they won their last World Cup, 
um, the star power of the team continued to grow as it should have. And they did some incredible celebrations. I mean, they did the ticker tape parade in Manhattan, but they literally did a celebration tour of the United States to a bunch of the soccer hotbeds where those women were celebrated as they should be for being world champs in a number of spots. How amazing would that be if this team could come back and basically take a couple of weeks and start on the West Coast and do something in Vancouver and Calgary and Regina and Winnipeg? Um, I, I really do think, and I have no idea whether that's planned, whether they've even thought about something, but but this is such a special group of women and a team that I think is connected with the Canadian populace on such a special way. Having this achievement, um, I think the benefits of doing something like that, not only to give these women the respect and the celebration that they deserve here on home soil, but also you talked about the experience that your kids had watching the game. That will be another thing. These great celebrations obviously will have to be outdoors when it can be safe, but um, you know, to have those moments that continue to inspire young players to, you know, want to not only do what they did on the field, but, you know, be part of a championship celebration that comes with the biggest wins in sports. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a much sort of a lower key, they, several players did do a sort of a victory celebration after 2012 when they came home with the bronze that um, there were athletes who would hold, um, you know, not public events in, in terms of a rally, but they'd connect with the provincial federation or the local soccer federations and hold like a weekend clinic. Uh, they were in Halifax. I believe they stopped in Edmonton. Uh, they had a couple stops in Ontario, and I think they made it all the way out to BC. Um, but I remember, you know, story in Halifax. Um, I wrote the story um, of you know people using connections to get their granddaughters into this um, sort of space with these bronze medal winners. Like two hundred slots open for a weekend skills clinic with Canadian Olympians, and people were basically trying to bribe officials to get them in. Like, <laughs> Like they had that tour and it was massive. I do think that, I mean, it's sort of a victim of timing here that, you know, we're sitting here talking about the Delta variant. Um, I mean, obviously a really nice thing to see the bombers on TV in front of a pretty full house last night. I don't think um, local governments are going to be in a position to say, Hey, let's get together and rally and celebrate. Certainly not cross Canada because I think, I mean, in Ontario, the numbers ticked up again today. I don't think that's going to be possible but that's not to discount the potential of what this moment has at all. At some point, I hope that these women get that sort of celebration that they deserve, because you can tell that the country is back is, is totally behind them back mm -hmm. to Sinclair. And I'm going to put Winnipeg's Desiree Scott in this conversation as well, because they are the two holdovers from that 2012 team that was robbed against the Americans. Um, Des, and you mentioned kind of those sort of celebrations. I mean, she was, you know, welcomed back as a hero in 2012 and has made such an impact on the community here, partly because of just the person that she is, but especially at the grassroots level. I mean, I've got a, a niece that has been playing, but was, you know, very small at that point. And, you know, that was the idol for young girls playing soccer. And she's done that. But for me to see Christine Sinclair, put that gold medal on Desiree Scott and then have Christine get it. The focus of course is on Sinclair. She's the highest scoring player of any sex ever in international competition. Um, but to have this girl from Winnipeg who played at the university of Manitoba, a very different path to this sort of prominence and notoriety to be here 
for a third Olympics and a third medal and now a gold medal. Um, these two women in particular, the backbone of this program, dating back to the John Herdman years, right now to the greatest win in uh, Canadian soccer history. Yeah, and I think the really interesting thing now, you know, as you mentioned, the next wave, the, the people that they're inspiring. Um, it's an interesting challenge, and I'm not going to ramble on too much about this, but this does this does mean a lot to me, and I don't think we really have a, a meaningful discussion about it on a national level. Um, let's take a look back at 2019 with the Toronto Raptors. Um, obviously, they had a huge victory then, and the talk was, think of all of the people that they're inspiring. The challenge is that Canada basketball didn't and doesn't have the infrastructure to sort of accept that wave of folks in. Like, it's not like hockey. Like, for all of the things that we dump on hockey, and there's a lot to crap on hockey about, uh, their grassroots registration system is without peer in Canada. That, um, you know, if you've signed your child up for hockey, Hockey Canada will know what team they played for last year, uh, who coached them, what level um, for the coaches. They'll know what level of certification you have. They'll know where you've coached. They've known with whom you've coached. And they will have benchmarks of uh, elements that you will need to qualify as a volunteer coach. Um, that doesn't exist in soccer right now. It doesn't exist in basketball. Um, so basketball, you know, had this wave of interest. Um, there weren't house leagues necessarily that had the capacity to welcome in all the kids who had interest. So I think soccer, and, and it's been getting a bit of a pass now because of the success, but but soccer starts with more kids in its grassroots than hockey does by quite a large margin. There are more kids in Canada who play soccer um, than hockey, who play m soccer more than basketball, uh, any other sport. And yet here we are, certainly on the men's side, um, middling to worse. And on the women's side, we've finally gotten up over this hill. But um, soccer needs to improve its infrastructure. It needs to develop better coaching um, better coaching principles, um, needs to teach better. You, you shouldn't just be able to show up and just op open a bag of soccer balls, throw them on the field, and just have your house league kids run around. There should be some minimum um, coaching uh, requirements, and that's a start. And it, it should also have a better tracking system, talent identification, all of these things, so that when you get 100,000 kids playing soccer, you have an idea of who's really into the game, who's good, and start fostering that love of the game through good coaching, through uh, value-added coaching, and help them up on a ladder so that some of those 800,000 kids might go and become the next Christine Sinclair um, or the next Desiree Scott or, you know, the next Jesse Fleming or, you know, hopefully the next uh, Steph LeBay um, because right now it's just not good enough. Well, Sean, based on all of that that you just said, which is absolutely accurate, how are we sitting here talking about an Olympic gold medal right now? Because Christine Sinclair um, and the golden generation that she was a part of um, defied gravity. Like it was, it was a shambles for a long time. And it was Christine Sinclair against the world. It was, you know, hoof it up, um, try and plow through some people. And hopefully Christine Sinclair scores on the other end. Um, part of this is numbers that, yeah, you have 800,000 kids. You're going to get a few who go through and, 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 and emerge um, but what are the barriers to entry? Um, you know, do we have athletes who aren't being identified, who aren't being coached properly at the very beginning, who are being funneled out of the system because it costs too much to play rep? Um, all of these things need to be identified because imagine the power that Canada could wield if we start actually harnessing our raw resources properly at the very beginning. Sean Fitzgerald's with us from The Athletic discussing the Tokyo Olympics and Canada's incredible gold medal win today in women's soccer. 
Um, it, the Olympics up until the last few days has really been all about the women with women's victories. The men sort of started stepping up, especially on the track. Um, let's talk about Andre DeGrasse. I mean, gold medalist in the 200, got on the podium in the 100, and now with an incredible anchor leg, gets another medal for Canada. Um, you know, Usain Bolt sort of sucked up all the oxygen of the sprinting community for his time. How significant is what Andre DeGrasse has done? And, you know, in a in a sport that has had some incredible Canadian sprinters, how will we remember, how should we remember Andre DeGrasse and his performance in Tokyo? Yeah, I mean, he did what no Canadian male had done in 93 years when he won the 200 meter, um, you know, helping run that anchor leg where, you know, he picked up that baton in fifth and then steam passed and helped Canada finish bronze. Um, he is one of the greatest sprinters in Canadian history. Um, you know, Donovan Bailey was quoted in a piece in The Athletic today saying that, you know, he'll end up obviously as the most decorated track athlete. Um, not obviously, he'll end up as the most decorated track athlete in Canadian history. But Donovan Bailey said, but I'm still the best because he won it uh, with the Olympic record, with the world record. Um, you know, certainly that 984 in 1996, nobody's going to forget anytime soon. But I think what Andre DeGrasse has done is just incredible. I mean, that 200-meter race um, and, and certainly, you know, finishing the way he did in the 100-meter race, um, coming through the injuries that he had to get here, uh, the real questions, um, I think what he'll be remembered as is a star. And and there's several stars. I mean, Canada produces several stars out of every Olympics, that ones you'll remember forever, whether it was Elizabeth Manley in 1988 or Daniel Negreanu in 2000 or Simon Whitfield or Cindy Klassen. Um, you know, Clara Hughes, I think we're going to be talking for years and years and years about the Canadian women's soccer team, uh, about Jesse Fleming, Christine Sinclair, um, Steph Labbe, um, Penny Alexiak, uh, Kelly Massey, Margaret McNeil, Andre DeGrasse, um, you're just, in, you know, Evan Dunphy, like so many folks have come and done remarkable things in arguably the most challenging period of time where you've had to go an extra year of training. I mean, you weren't, you weren't sure three months before the opening ceremony, whether there was going to be an opening ceremony, like, like that's overcoming adversity. No, there's no doubt about it. Um, and you know, in the midst of all the excitement about the Canadian women winning and what happened on the track with the four by one, I am still mentally and physically exhausted just from watching the 5,000 meters. Um, the final kick of Mohamed to win yeah. a silver medal. First time any Canadian's been on the podium in this event in the history of the Olympic Games was, uh, was a performance that I'll certainly remember from watching it. Um, a, a, a guy that, I'll be honest, like many of the Olympic athletes, did not know anything about before we turned it on and watched his race. What an incredible moment for Ahmed uh, today on the track. And I mean, we haven't even talked about Damian Warner either, right? Like winning the decathlon yeah. over two days. I mean, that's... I mean, he, he talked about, you know, they had to be there for 12 hours a day for two days in a row, getting six hours of sleep while competing in 10 events. Um, and, and he put up numbers that would have qualified him for finals in the event straight up, like the 100-meter sprint, the, the hurdles. Um, and he also, I mean, you talk about conditions and adversity. You know, he talked about how when he bent down on his knee to, like, tie a shoe, the track was so hot, he, he actually burned his knee. That when he went to grab the pole for pole, like, like, it burned his hand. He had to go around wearing a cooling vest. Like, it was... It was 45 degrees, 47 degrees with humidity, which is about, you know, competing in 10 events in the middle of an active volcano. Like it's it's just incredible what what all of these athletes have done, especially, you know, in these in these circumstances, not just the existential ones about the pandemic, but, you know, competing 
in a games in August in Japan when it's super stinking hot. Um, just on Warner, I, I mean the like the decathlon's a weird event because we refer to it as it's the it's the greatest athlete, but most of these guys sort of end up in the decathlon because they might not be truly world class gold medal ready in any individual event. Um, all that being said, if we remember Mike Smith of Kenora, who was a big national hero for what he did, the significance of a gold medal in the decathlon in the Olympics. Um, I'm not sure whether the Canadian populace, I mean, there's sometimes medals that, you know, get more attention than others. But I mean, when we look back down the road, how will we remember Warner and what he was able to do with all those conditions that you just mentioned? Yeah, I mean... The first half of the games was about Penny and the swim team, right? Obviously. I mean, the work that they did in the pool was incredible. Um, and then Andre de Grasse comes, and it's those are the marquee events. And then the huge narrative with the women's soccer team, which can't be denied. But, yeah, what, what Damian Warner did, and, I mean, um, what Damian Warner did over those two days is incredible. And not only that he won, but he, he put up 9,000 points um, for the first time in his career. Um, and not many – folks have done that at the Olympic level or any level really. Um, so what he did is just remarkable. And I do hope that, you know, as time passes and as sort of the, you know, the chaos of, of being in here now and, and, you know, celebrating all of these medals as they come in that, yeah, generally we do look back and that this is one of those ones that, you know, when you're talking about the Mount Rushmore of uh, the Tokyo games to mix my metaphors, I guess, um, that, that he's certainly included among them. Um, Sean, overall, how would you, um, how would you assess the entire Olympic experience? We know the incredible challenges they've had, and I feel horrible for the Japanese people, uh, you know, not really being able to seemingly participate in a party that they are hosting. Uh, but I was adamant. I mean, I think these athletes have worked so hard. They deserved, if they wanted to, the opportunity to compete. Um, now that we're sort of well into the games, looking at how things have gone, how would you assess the challenges and how things have been handled um, to put on this show that we've been talking about for two weeks? The Olympics begins with, oh my God, this is going to be disastrous. Um, I mean, there was, I mean, uh, remember Greece, they weren't going to get them finished in time. Um, Rio, uh, was it going to be safe in Russia? I mean, on a more serious note, there was some significant terrorists concerns um vancouver didn't have snow um all of these things come up and in the end you know as lots of people have said it's the olympians that save the olympics everything around it's terrible the politics the money involved it's just awful but it's when you get to see the kids out there competing and yeah i mean the stands emptied it's kind of off-putting and it's it's awful that you know for the billions and billions of dollars that tokyo is going to end up paying for this um, that they weren't able to celebrate. And it's awful for the athletes that, you know, your support system, your family, you're not able to celebrate with this. And you can't go back to Canada house after winning a gold medal and see your mom and dad and your partner and go and have fun and celebrate and share the moment with the people who helped get you there, who drove you to those early practices, who supported you when you were injured, maybe even financially supported you for training. Um, but all that being said, I think that, you know, the games have, gone off. I mean, here we are entering the final weekend. And I mean, in the middle of a global pandemic, when numbers are very concerning in Tokyo and in Japan right now, um, when, you know, numbers have, uh, infections have reached inside the athlete's village, inside that, um, that hopeful bubble, um, we're still here. And it's still 
um, sort of almost reached its conclusion. And I think from a from a Canadian perspective, from you and I sitting back here on this side of the Pacific, um, honestly, I think we've been spoiled um, by what the CBC has offered. Um, the CBC on linear television, on its digital offerings, its streaming has been so far superior um, to what they get just south of us in the United States. It really is obscene. For Just as a quick aside, I had to watch NBC's coverage, primetime coverage, for one night, these Olympics. It was for work. So I was literally being paid to watch NBC. <laughs> it was awful. It was unspeakably awful. I watched for three and a half hours. I saw a beach volleyball match live, which was great. And then I saw a few heats of a 200-meter, and I saw, uh, I think, a final of a hurdle in three and a half hours. And that was it. The rest of it was prepackaged. It was tape delayed by 16 hours or so. Um, and they only showed the Americans. Like I remember they, they showed a highlight of the long jump competition and they only showed the American who was in seventh. The CBC will show you events that don't feature Canadians at all. And they'll give you a good and thorough background story and they'll make sure you're educated about it. And they'll show you tons of stuff live. So, you know, when we're talking about the Olympic experience, as you asked, I think the Canadian television viewer has been spoiled by what the CBC's offered this summer. I, I couldn't agree. I could not agree more with you. And I mean, as a big golf guy who sweated right. out the entire golf and talking to a lot of people within yeah. the golf community, the difference between what we were able to see with which arguably the best broadcast period, I mean, for world-class golf, for someone that watches every tournament, I mean, it wasn't even close. And the Americans almost couldn't watch any of it, period. I mean, it like wasn't available, which is pretty incredible. And Xander Shoffley goes and wins a gold medal for her. Oh, let's go yeah. to the 18th hole for the final putt. I mean, it was uh, a bit of a nightmare for some fans, but you are right. We are lucky. Sean, one more for you, and thanks so much for doing this. Um, as we go into the final weekend of the Tokyo Games, um, we've spoken about some incredible Canadian victories overall. How successful was this for Team Canada? Did they exceed expectations going in? Or um, should we start expecting these sort of performances from it? I mean, did, did we overachieve this year? That's a really interesting question. And again, we could keep talking. It's what, quarter after two? We could go till about four o'clock talking about <laughs> this. Because now you're talking about philosophy, right? Like, you know, before the Vancouver Games, um, Canada's funding model was you know, here's $10 spread amongst yourselves equally. Um, we're all, we're going to pay for everybody to go and compete to that sort of amateur ideal of, you know, competition and sport is and of itself the end goal, right? Like competition, amateurism, that's what we're going to do. And if we win a couple medals, super. Like, you know, the old joke was that fourth place was Canadian bronze. Um, you know, Vancouver and, you know, the emergence of things like Own the Podium, um, B210, which is a private fundraising group, um, RBC Training Ground, all of these things that you've been watching on TV, um, it changed the way that we approach sports as Canadians. I really do fundamentally believe that, that we went from just happy to be there. Yeah, sure, we'll host an Olympics in 1976 and not win a gold medal, no problem. Um, and in 1988, if we can get on the podium, that'd be great. Um, to now, yeah, there's an expectation to win. And, and these athletes, you know, still aren't making a ton of money, but you know, hopefully if they need that new boat for the, the canoe, if they need a new kayak, um, if they need an extra physio for decathlon, hopefully they're getting that now. And what that does is put them in a better position to win. So, you know, within that, um, I think that, you know, you look at the, the medal totals from, from here to Rio and it's, you know, Canada's potentially on the verge with a big weekend to pass that. 
uh, the, the measuring up to expectations is tough because I don't know that anybody had any reasonable expectations heading into this because it was the extra year of training that, you know, um, some athletes in from other countries, you know, who who were 13 years old when this thing was supposed to happen, uh, were 14 years old and you know, wanted diving at the, uh, you know, the, the, the platform. Um, things changed. And I think that, you know, when you put in the, the pandemic and the uncertainty, I think it was tough to ascribe any kind of expectation. But I mean, certainly you look at the individual performances and the people who were really carrying this thing on their shoulders. I think everybody met expectations. You look at Penny Alexiak, Andre DeGrasse. I mean, certainly now we're talking about the women's soccer team um, and even folks who um, ended up putting up personal bests. You know, Pierre Lepage in the decathlon, um, certainly Kami Massey, Margaret McNeil. Um, I think people who were expected to perform well um, generally, by and large, met and or exceeded those expectations. Hey, uh, I, I just thought this. I've got to ask you on the way out. Uh, Cindy Clausen, of course, is from Winnipeg, one of the greatest Olympians in Canadian history, was famously shy, um, you know, would meet the media and, you know, would do all of her, her duties, but just wasn't comfortable, was not that outgoing. And, you know, almost incredibly, after she finished winning all those medals, sort of was able to retreat into relative anonymity. I think, believe she's living in Calgary and, you know, has a regular job right now and, um, and that is her life. I see some similarities between Cindy Clausen and, and Christine Sinclair in that, you know, they are these incredible world-class athletes. I mean, the, the greatest at what they were doing at a particular time. Um, and in some ways, famously shy. I mean, you know, the girls on the team that are, you know, it, it's so funny. Des is such a foil to, to Sinclair in some ways because she's so outgoing and she has so much energy. Um, but as far as Sinclair, she's, you know, getting on. I'm not sure whether she has another Olympics. I'm not sure how much longer she's going to be playing. But where do you think Christine Sinclair is in 10 years? I mean, as far as, I mean, will she still be a huge figure in soccer? She'll be a huge figure in soccer history. But, I mean, do you see her still being involved with the game, with the national team program? Does she go into coaching? Is she media? Or does she go the route of Cindy Klassen? And uh, we'll always talk about Christine Sinclair, but we won't really see or hear from her much. I sure hope she's still involved. Um, I know I'm supposed to be impartial, but I've followed her career for a long time. I've, I was there in Guadalajara when she scored to help them win gold in the Pan American Games. Um, I you know, was in London when they were robbed um, by a really shaky uh, official. Um, I think it, it might be different in that it's a team sport, right? It, it, soccer is more of a team sport. And you take a look, you go back and you watch that medal ceremony, or even, even you watch the moments after, you know, that last penalty goes in and you see the reaction, like she's right in there and people seek her out and embrace her. Um, that, that she was, um, she was the heartbeat of that team still. Like she, she had been the institutional memory. She was the one of two active players left from 2012. Um, she is, you know, from all accounts, universally beloved within that franchise, the women's soccer franchise. Um, I think it would be a huge loss on so many levels if uh, Canadian soccer didn't do everything in its power and beyond to find not just a role but a meaningful role. So it doesn't have to be head coach. It could be um, assistant. It could be quality control. It could be consultant. It could be anything to keep that woman involved in soccer at the very highest levels, because what she's done, what she means, the way she interacts, 
um, you know, what she can offer in terms of coaching, um, guidance, advice, anything, um, we just don't have because it doesn't exist. Um, maybe in the world, there's a, there's a handful of players who can, you know, say that they're at the level that she was at. And I mean, you've talked to Karina LeBlanc, you speak with Diana Matheson, people that she played with, like, she's quiet when she's talking to you and me. And, you know, it's funny that, you know, the commercial that she's on with RBC, it's a non-speaking role. Um, but behind closed doors, inside that team, um, she, I mean, I don't think that she can be said that, you know, she shies away from anything. She is very much a leader. Hey, um, speaking of being leaders, I mean, it was just so cool for us here in Winnipeg to see in the last two games, Christine Sinclair getting subbed out, putting the captain's band on Des Scott. Those two players, uh, you know, at, at some point, they won't be playing on that national team anymore. Is there a, a logical or obvious successor to those two? As like, it, it, do we know who the next captain of this Canadian women's team uh, will be, and at whatever point that happens? I don't. I'm not as familiar with the internal dynamics of the team as as you know many others who might have a better answer. I mean, yeah. I mean, you take a look, and you know, the, the goalkeeper. This this is her last Olympics too, right? So you know, do you go to you know the other hero of this games? Is it a is it a Jesse Fleming? Um, from whom, you know, Sinclair famously passed the ball for that penalty, right, against the United States. Um, I mean, the beautiful thing is here is that, you know, there's more than one option. It wasn't that long ago where it's like, well, well, yeah, I mean, it's Christine Sinclair and she's got a strong supporting cast, but there's one global star. Here, there's lots of kids who, on this team at least, uh, are going to be helping this team for a while. Sean, this has been such a great conversation and just such a great day. Pretty fun to have just the opportunity to talk about a victory of this magnitude for our, for our Canadian Olympic team and the Canadian women's soccer team. I've loved your Olympic coverage in The Athletic and everything that the folks at The Athletic do. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us. Have an awesome weekend. Enjoy the last couple of days of Tokyo. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be on anytime. I appreciate it. There he is, Sean Fitzgerald. You can give him a follow on Twitter at uh, Sean Fitz underscore Gerald. And um, if you're not already, as we, we always say this when we have Murad on, if you're not already an athletic subscriber, what the hell are you waiting for? It's uh, certainly, certainly worth it, especially at times like this. I mean, we love what they do covering our local teams, but um, I'll tell you what, there's just so much great content and Sean's a perfect example of that. Um, we've got more to get to. Some actually some pretty significant NHL contract news, which we'll get to with Remus in just a second. I want to shout out, our friends at Little Brown Jug, guess what? The weekend is here. I have a feeling, certainly from looking at some of the uh, folks in the chat, that the celebrations kind of started last night and are continuing through the weekend. No better way to uh, add to those than with a little little brown jug. There you go. The summer uh, uh, lager, the Hefeweizen, uh, the honey brown, uh, the, uh, sorry, the, uh, the honey brown is also part of that summer variety pack. You can see the uh, the spot there uh, that Remus is playing. And, of course, the flagship brand, the 1919. Um, if you're looking for a great spot to go for a beer on the weekend, why don't you pop down and visit them at the uh, brewery on William Avenue? A uh, great spot for a patio drinks with friends. Grab a couple slices of pizza. You can pick up some stash uh, for home. And you can do it all there at Little Brown Jug. But if you don't want to do that, you don't even want to go to the beer store, Go to littlebrownjug.ca 
Uh, they've relaunched the website. It's easier than ever to get the great taste of Little Brown Jug delivered directly to your home. Got some great merchandise as well. You can check it all out at littlebrownjug.ca and check out their events page too for where they're at in the community. Now they got a busy, busy August hitting a number of the farmer's markets and other community events here in Manitoba. Uh, countdown to Monday is on when live racing returns to Assiniboia Downs. Over the course of the weekend, you can certainly bet on tracks around the world at hpibet.com. But the Terrace Dining Room is open. The VLTs are open from 9 a.m. to 12.15 each and every day. And as far as live racing goes, much like Bombers or Gold Eyes game, Valor FC, if you have your proof of vaccination, you can be in there. They're going 50% for the outdoor area and inside and uh, we'll be getting the gang together for the uh, the races coming up very soon at Assiniboia Downs. Find out more at asdowns.com. And a shout out to our friends at Breezy Bend, our golf sponsor. F- the finishing touches on the uh, new sixth hole. Saw them laying the sod down yesterday. Um, it's been such a great year out at Breezy. Despite the lack of rain, courses in absolutely mint shape. And uh, as much as it's great on the golf course, it's also great on the patio and the clubhouse and much more with great programs for you and your family. If you're looking for a great golfing home for next year, get on the waiting list, breezybend.ca, or give them a call and ask for Corey Johnson and tell them uh, you want to get set up for next year to play with us out at Breezy Bend. All right, let's get Remus back in here. Remo, this last hour has absolutely flown by. I had a great time talking to John Hodge from Three Down Nation about the Bomber game. And uh, as I said, I feel fortunate to be able to have the conversation that we just had with Sean Fitzgerald and to be doing the show today with the opportunity to talk about such a momentous victory for Canada in women's soccer with everyone here on the program. Yeah, when I uh, I think I texted Sean this morning and Canada was down one nothing, so I thought maybe we we would be having a different conversation. But of course, Canada, you know, scoring the penalty kick uh, in the game to tie and holding on till the shootout and winning in very dramatic fashion. I mean, uh, that was a game that was a roller coaster of emotions and left you crying with tears of joy at the end. And I love seeing the uh, outpouring uh, on Twitter uh, for you know for the entire team and. You know, we love this team back in 2012, and maybe the games were on at really weird times this year, except for this one that might be the highest-rated 8 a.m. Friday morning <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> programming ever. So I actually I do want to see those ratings. I know they're re- replaying the game, but uh, I got a lot of friends. I got a lot of text after, like, oh, my God, did you just watch that? And it was, uh, it was awesome drama, and I am getting chills here just talking about Canada as a gold medal team. In soccer, because we're so used to talking about uh, USA and Canada, you know, coming coming up short. And there was uh, Canada beating US and then beating Sweden. And I mean, the images of Canada celebrating, you know, after, you know, what, you know, Christine Sinclair's long career, finally capping it with a gold medal and then seeing the Swedish team just devastated. Uh, I mean, oh, such. I mean, the, what a way to lose. I know. Too. I, I mean, I know. they had it on. They had it. On, I mean, they had a kick to win. And, you know, yeah. for her to hit that one over the crossbar was devastating. Um, but La Bay was absolutely nailed. She did the exact same thing against Brazil. Canada was down in the penalty shootout. After, of all people, Christine Sinclair bricked the first penalty of the uh, of the shootout. Um, they came back and did it again, not allowing a goal on the final three Swedish kicks. And um, that was absolutely devastating for those women. And that's part of the nature of the penalty kicks, Reem. I mean, it's so 
tense. It's so exciting. Uh, you have a winner or a loser based on one shot. I mean, the narrow, the, the, the difference between winning and losing is so narrow. Um, that makes the, the victory maybe that much more exciting. But man, the agony of defeat, as they say, in a loss like that is one that will sting for a long time. And you couldn't help but feel for the Swedes who um, were absolutely disconsolate on the field after the loss. Yeah, I, I agree. And look, they they left it all on the field for 120 minutes. And going to shoot a win or lose, I mean, again, great way to win, horrible way to lose. And, um, you know, Sweden, the great team, but Canada was a bit better. and. Man, those those penalty kicks. <laughs> I, I was ripping on them again. I was ripping on them during the Euro Cup. How it seemed like every game went to penalties, but uh, it was it was awesome when you're on the now. right. We yeah, love, love them love now. Them, love them. Yeah. Best. Yeah. <laughs> Big uh, fan. Bus, yeah. BA BA split. Uh, Des is the gal you need on the show. IMO. No kidding. <laughs> thanks for the tip yeah thanks. <laughs> we will we will definitely yeah. and we're gonna be in touch uh at some point hopefully next week but whenever it's available des will be on des can be on as often and as long as she wants at any point but we do want to see that gold medal and uh at some point when we get back to doing business normally like we were before the pandemic uh that's someone that i would love to have sit in uh, with us for a show at some point if we could do it uh, live in person um, alright Remo let's get to there is a little bit of hockey news sounds like Darnell Nurse is about to break the bank uh, we knew that there was rumors of an 8 year extension but man some of the numbers that top defensemen are getting right now is completely blowing my mind reportedly in excess of 9 million 8 times 9 and a quarter um, Nurse had an incredible season last year and it's probably a great time for him to cash in. But holy smokes, I mean, I would have never thought a month ago that we could be talking about 70 plus million dollars for Darnell Nurse. Yeah, and it is official now. Hustle Oilers have put out the release here. Let me, uh, let me bring, it, bring up the picture. Oh, look at this graphic. There it is. Darnell Nurse. Let me scroll down. Yes, eight year with an AAV, 9.25 million. Ooh. I believe that's more than Kale McCarr. And I see a lot of people ripping this contract to shreds, saying it's the worst contract ever. Now I, I know I have I don't know if it is or isn't, but I think it is probably an overpay. Um, you know, Darnell Nurse, very good player. It's possible. You know, some of his numbers getting propped up playing with Connor McDavid. I mean, we saw him in the playoffs. I mean, he did play in that overtime game. I think he played like a ridiculous number of minutes. Again, yeah. very, <laughs> very good. But when you look at what other defensemen are making, I mean, I don't. I think Ken Holland maybe jumped the gun. A bit on this one and I mean you look at the Oilers salary cap now I mean they're playing they're, he's getting more than Dreisaitl a little less than McDavid Zach Hyman's making money Duncan Keith's making a lot of money um that's a lot and you're playing your elite guys a lot but I'm not so sure Darnell Nurse is one of the if he's very good I don't know if he's like an elite in the uh Kale McCarr Dougie Hamilton um yeah well he's getting more money than Makar is now admittedly they were buying more ufa years so you know you can kind of compare those that way but i mean man he 56 games last year he had 16 goals and 20 assists for 36 points i don't quote me on this but i think 14 or 15 of those goals were at even strength which actually tied him for even strength goal scoring with leon dreisaitl so he was an incredible position when it came to uh, you know, signing a new deal. And I think it speaks to just how important he is that, you know, the outlay that they went and gave it to him. But it's all complicated by the fact that Adam Larson isn't there anymore. And 
you know, much like Calgary, who's still, I think, trying to get over the loss of Mark Giordano in the expansion draft. They absolutely needed to keep Darnell Nurse. Uh, but going forward, that's not quite the team-friendly deal that I think they believe that they've got Connor McDavid on, considering how great he is, or even Leon Dreisaitl. Um, you're now getting into Leaf territory where you've got three or four players eating up about 40%, 50% of your cap. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to wait and see here. I'll pull up their cap-friendly right here. Yeah, you got McDavid, Dreisaitl, Hyman, you got Nugent Hopkins. And then you got a bunch of small guys. I like what they did, um, you know, getting Warren Fogle. And I thought that was a good pickup. And Hyman, you know, it might be a bit of a long deal. But for now, you think he's, well, I, he's a pretty listen, good player for the for I like now. the I like the Fogle ad. Yeah. But I don't really like the fact that they traded Ethan Bear to get him. Yes. I mean, it, it seemed quite strange. And I know they've got a couple of young guys, like Evan Bouchard, that they're expecting to move in. Um but I'll tell you what, I'm a big fan of Ethan Bear. I think they will miss him, especially considering that Larson has gone on the other side. The other defenseman that signed an eight-year deal was Adam Pellick in New York with the Islanders. I had to laugh when I saw the release through the CP that the Islanders announced that they'd signed Adam Pellick to an eight-year deals, and terms were not disclosed. Uh, eventually, it all gets to cap friendly. What uh, what was the what was the number that Pellick ended up inking with uh, with the uh, guys on the island? Yeah, eight years, forty six million dollars for Adam Pellick, AAV of five point seven five, and yeah, Barry Trotz came in, solidified the defense, and uh, Adam Pellick was definitely part of that. And I'm a uh, good friend. I'm gonna be honest, like didn't see too much of Pellick, but he's he's come along. He's become a very solid defenseman, and uh, that's. Defenseman, or if you want to make money in NHL, has uh, become Ooh. a de- become a defenseman. Well, that seems and, to and be honestly, the way to go. And honestly, that makes these trades that Shevel Dayoff made last week just look that much better. I mean, mm-hmm. the, Brendan Dillon's coming here for three more years at three point nine. Yeah, trading for players that signed contracts a year or two ago, I think, is going to help out your cap situation a lot more than inking guys right now. The one concern is from a Jets perspective is that they do need to ink Neil Pionk. And maybe the happiest guy right now is Pionk and his Pionk's agent. Because yes. when you see the amount of cash being thrown around for defensemen, and considering the amount of UFA years the Jets would need to be buying if they sign him to a long-term deal, um, I think that number and the ask might keep going up right now as you see what's going on. I mean, Adam Pellick is getting almost $6 million bucks. Solid defenseman, four goals, 10 assists, 14 points. Points are a big, you know, we can debate how important that really is. Big picture to, you know, a defenseman. Maybe it's defense first. Certainly that's what we were talking about in Winnipeg. But the bottom line is all that plays into contract negotiations in a big, big way. And um, I'll tell you what, I think Larry Simmons and Kevin Sheveldayoff, as great of a job as they've done uh, addressing other needs on the blue line, I'm not sure they... I certainly didn't figure that they'd be up against a market that has absolutely inflated defense salaries in a fashion that I don't think anybody saw coming when we're talking about this flat cap this year. Yeah, we can thank the Blackhawks for their Seth Jones contract <laughs> and Gail uh, McCarr, Dougie Hamilton cashing in. Um, who else? Uh, Zach Wierenski. Those are some big deals. So I had thought Pionk was maybe like a five, mid $5.5 million player. Um you know, with this pellet deal, maybe he comes in at six. And I know the Jets has like to keep things within a salary structure. I think they like to have a, based on how it's been, or I'm looking at, that's um, they like to keep guys, you know, in line, you know. So does Pionk come in 
at a higher rate than Morrissey, who's currently 6.25. And if he does, how does that affect them being able to get Andrew Kopp? Um, I, I don't know. I'm curious how it's going to work. He has his arbitration date, August 13th. So we're going to know in a week uh, what it's it, going to be. Ex- within a yeah, week. It, it, exactly. Within a week or potentially yeah. a deal. Oh. And I think when we're talking Jets next week, that certainly will be kind of poking some of the insiders and guys in the know as to uh, what they're hearing on that. Because I'm sure there's conversations going. I Considering what happened with Andrew Kopp, I, I, I imagine that both sides would love to avoid arbitration. Um, the bottom line for the Winnipeg Jets is I think they really do see Neil Pionk as a key piece going forward. He's been a great player on the Jet Blue Line, and I think will only be better in a much better situation, you know, with higher level talent in the top four to play with going forward. So um, certainly is a priority. And then Andrew Kopp's arbitration date, 13 days later, August 26, right at the end. So a little bit more time to get Kopp done. And to be honest, I think the priority is going to be Neil Pionk. And I think we'll see once that deal does the deal happens, you know, what that might mean to the uh, cap space and cash available for Andrew Kopp here in uh, here in Winnipeg if he's going to uh, if he's going to be uh, sticking around. Um but I, I, right now if I had to bet before Remo we were talking about oh you know Neil Pionk's going to be in the high fives. I think speaking today I'd be surprised if he didn't get a deal maybe in excess of what Josh Morrissey has right now. Morrissey of course signed for 8 years um but did it a few years ago and as we've seen there's been insane inflation when it comes to legit top four defensemen of which Neil Pionk has proven to the Winnipeg Jets. He absolutely is. Yeah. Uh, Neil Pionk, I, again, I w- got to give myself a uh, bad take, old takes exposed. I was very critical of the, of the tr- Truba deal. Uh, you I weren't this, the only one. Yeah. This has been a total win. So, um, I mean, major props to Chevy for getting Pionk and, and Hanela. And you look at, um, I'm just pulling up the stats here. I know GMs love looking at defense points, defense a bit, I think tougher to evaluate than maybe a traditional forward. Um, just because, you know, they do so much that doesn't show up on a stat sheet. But uh, I thought Pionk had a great season. But wasn't, is he top 50 defensive points? I thought he was. But apparently, oh, there he is, 21st in points. And, I mean, if you want to do comparables, I don't know, Sam Gerard, Pinez, Yossi, and he's up there. There's Nurse. Um, I mean, just from a points perspective, I don't know, maybe that's a good way. So. But I mean, listen, he also led the team in hits. I mean, he did a lot. And uh, to be honest, I still maintain that I think he was somewhat miscast as not being the number one option on the power play for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, But at the end of the day, they're going to need to uh, get in a room and figure something out. And I think everyone hoping that that gets done before they end up having to go to arbitration. But as I said, the uh, the cash keeps flowing in for defensemen right now in the National Hockey League. Speaking of big money deals and inflation, much of what we just said about Darnell Nurse in the defense market in the National Hockey League, you can also apply to the quarterback market in the NFL ream. And once you get a guy, you got to keep that guy. And we've seen huge outlays. Really, Patrick Mahomes setting the bar with that half billion dollar extension although didn't get as much guaranteed money as Josh Allen signed today with the Buffalo Bills. Reportedly a six-year, $258 million extension for Josh Allen. And it's funny, Remo, think about all the, speaking of bad takes, think about all the takes that the Bills blew it again when they drafted him out of Wyoming, I believe. He's turned into a legit star in this league. He's taken the Bills to places they haven't been in a long, long time. The city loves him. 
to me, this is a match made in heaven, but there still was a little sticker shock when we saw what Josh Allen was signing for. Yeah, Josh Allen, I think two years ago, a uh, very inaccurate quarterback, a lot of questions about him. <laughs> but uh, this past season, uh, he suddenly became one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league. He can beat you with his legs. Uh, he had a number of rushing touchdowns. He's basically like a second goal line back too. So uh, he's a franchise QB, no question. Uh, pay him whatever he's worth for a quarterback. And, you know, a lot of questions about, you know, Buffalo franchise is going to stay there. You know, they've got stadium issues. But Josh Allen will be there 2028. That's uh, that's that's a big one. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, and uh, and I guess we didn't talk about Kirk Cousins yesterday as well. Do we want do we want to talk about the the unvaxxed quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings that um is driving his coaches crazy right now? Uh, this all started when the quarterback room um, needed to be quarantined for five days. The guys that weren't vaccinated, including Cousins, and their big practice with fans that was set to take place at the at the the, the dome, TCU Bank Field or whatever it's called now, had one quarterback, and it was a guy that had never played before because all the other guys were in quarantine. Um, I won't get to the reasons that Kirk Cousins is giving for it, but um. That Viking situation, especially a quarterback having a COVID scare already, is not going to be a story I think that ends anytime soon. And, you know, it really does seem like there's a legitimate competitive advantage for teams like the Buccaneers, for example, that seem to have legit buy-in from top to bottom of the roster. They're not dealing with some of the stuff that Zimmer is getting frustrated in the Twin Cities right now. Yeah, I mean, he basically he said that he would encase himself with plexiglass. He's basically going to he's going to become <laughs> Bubble Boy uh, for the Vikings, so he avoids close contact. He's going to need like an astronaut helmet at all times. It seems like because I don't Space know spacesuit. <laughs> I don't know how you avoid close contact with your teammates. I don't know how you lead. So he wouldn't really say his reasoning. Um, just deflected every single uh, question. But I think it's going to be a big storyline in the NFL season, especially for fantasy players. And you have to wonder, I mean, is like Kirk Cousins that good that you can put up with this BS for a whole season? Uh, I know Mike Zimmer said, expressed his frustration. Other head coaches, Ron Rivera in Washington, expressing his frustration with uh, players not wanting to get the shot. And um, I guess ignoring evidence from uh, from the pop doctors in the in the United States who are offering communicate with these yeah. guys as so. well as from the team yeah um, and you know what hey this is just sort of a it it's a societal issue right now and it's happening everywhere um but certainly in the nfl with so much at stake and so much on the line and the penalties that we've heard if if a COVID outbreak happens because of unvaxxed players the team loses the game and nobody gets paid remus and that i think has been a kick in the ass to a lot of the guys that were maybe on the fence but obviously it hasn't worked with all of them uh, maybe a guy with 45 guaranteed million guaranteed um doesn't need to maybe play uh, play nice with others yeah and they basically said you know there's an easier way to avoid this uh kirk you could just you know get the shot instead of encasing yourself in plexiglass <laughs> In a he room. Likes that. No, and, he doesn't like that. Uh, yeah. And it's funny, you talk, not funny, but you switching over to CFL, there was a COVID scare uh, this morning with Edmonton Elks. Um, they had to cancel their practice, um, didn't release their depth chart, and uh, canceled the media availability. So, but it seems like the game, uh, it seems like no concerns right now that the game is in jeopardy. No concerns. It says Farhan okay. Lalji. 
Yeah, Dave uh, Campbell in, uh, in Edmonton said the statement from the Elks in regards to tomorrow's game, the Elks are continuing to play or prepare for tomorrow's scheduled home opener against the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, the team's walkthrough today was canceled due to COVID-19 protocols. Players, coaches, and staff are at the facility today in preparation for tomorrow's game. We'll continue to follow the necessary steps to ensure the health and safety of our players, coaches, and staff. Currently, we have no concern that the game will not be played. So that is certainly a good thing, Remus. And, you know, if we thought we were having a tough time getting lines for these week one games, just wait till you add in some uncertainty as to who will even be able to play for Edmonton. I don't think we should be uh, holding our breath till that line comes out. We do, however, have a line for tonight's game between the Hamilton, uh, the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the BC Lions. That one opened at seven a couple hours ago. Not wow. surprising. Money what? going in on the underdog a little bit, moving it to six and a half right now. But um, that's pretty much right where we had when we did our predictions, Remus. I had seven, you had six and a half, and I, that's I pretty did? much where it's landed. Nailed it. Oh, man, they should just called us to make the lines. What? what are they, why did they you know wait what? so long? We knew we the whole time. Well, and I'll tell you what, we had a much better line for the bomber Ticat game than actually came out and probably cost the books a lot of money. But that was a wonderful thing, especially for those of us that got in right when it went out and got more than plus 150 on the bombers to win at home. Yeah, and I want to let's see if any good props here. Uh, O'Brien Burnham over under receiving yards, 86 and a half. Shaq Evans, 69.5. I saw some, I think it was like DT, Derek Taylor saying, oh yeah, Shaq Evans way over three and a half receptions i know he's one of the better guys at catching deep balls in the league i may uh put a small wager on that one that one right now actually and i think there were some questions about mike riley uh and his health or sorry michael it's riley michael riley mike yeah michael riley my bad so but i think i'm i'm on this the saskatchewan side here but if mike riley michael riley can stay healthy and stay upright uh i like you know and maybe some uh, garbage time yards, but uh, I didn't catch yeah. that. What were the circumstances with Riley saying he was going to go from Mike to Michael? Is that I, I didn't catch in, it? I, yeah, I it just all of a sudden that's happened. I mean, and it reminded me, of course, of our old pal Joel Armia, who got traded and became Yoel Armia. Uh, but going from Mike to Michael was not something I thought we'd be talking about going into the CFL season. Uh, maybe he's just trying to change everything from last season, which was so miserable for Mike Michael Riley as he was on his keister more often than not because they couldn't protect a lick in front of him. To me, that's the biggest question going into this game tonight is how will the BC offensive line be able to protect their quarterback? Because if they don't get better than that, everything else doesn't really matter. Yeah, uh, Tracy wrote it in chat. I did see it here on 3 Down Nation that his mother passed away in March. And he want, she did not like when people called him Mike. Uh, she liked when they called him Michael. And so he said, you know what? Call me Michael Riley. So uh, that's actually a really nice a really nice story. And yeah, he has been struggling to stay upright in BC. I, I read on Three Down Nation as well that he's on a pitch count, that he's got some arm issues. So I wasn't too confident in BC. I do like Brian Burnham as a receiver for fantasy purposes. But they had, I watched a lot of BC games in 2019 because it's always like the late game on a on a saturday and uh and yeah they're so they were pretty ugly well speaking of mike and michael bad takes paris has said mike remus which actually the only guy that i ever remember referring to you as mike remus was darren drager Uh, when when he was calling when you were on away for paternity leave that was the famous question he goes guys 
what the, what's become of Mike Remus? And yeah, uh, oh, heard- he just had a baby. He's coming back. We had a good laugh about that. Do you have anyone else that calls you Mike? A uh, few people do. Uh, people do. I think so. Yes. I, I've never called you Mike, Mike or Michael, to be honest with you. It's pretty much always Reem or Remus. And uh, that's just the way that it's worked. But uh, I'm wondering on that. Yes, of course. Nikolai, not Nick. Hey. That's that's a tough one. I, I'm I'm definitely guilty of calling Nikolai Ehlers Nick a lot, probably know, most of the time. I don't honest. know if you saw, but this is our Jets offseason news. Um, Nikolai Ehlers, oh, let me find his real account, not the fan account, but he did some modeling in Denmark um, this this uh, week. Here, one sec. Check this out. Look at this heartthrob. Probably going to stick to hockey, but had a fun day modeling. And there Love he is. it! <laughs> That's awesome. That's a nice uh, sweatsuit there. He's got the hair done, and the Jets. I love all the comments. Have you ever wondered if there was something more in life than being really, really ridiculously good looking? Quoting Derek Zoolander, Nate Thompson with the man <laughs> rocket, Carson Dunn. Oh, there's Sports Talk Winnipeg. I, who commented that with three, three fire? <laughs> that was me. <laughs> oh, the Bud Light Celsi can rating so handsome. So everyone. Everyone getting in on this. So uh, Nikolai Ehlers looking pretty good uh, this offseason. Ehlers has a great Insta. He's a great Insta follow. I mean, he'll put up some fun stuff of what he's doing. I saw he had a nice uh, nice dinner date with mom earlier, uh, you know, on his Insta story. Uh, but, when, but when you get geared up for a modeling debut, that's not Insta story. You got, you got to do a post yeah. that has to stay, that has to stay for eternity on the account. You got to post that. And someone comments, uh, Bravo Bryce has a jet in a tracksuit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they uh, they've they- come a long way. Yeah. By the way, by the way, um, just before we finish up. There were some great signs of the game last night. And I think we all heard the riders suck chant. And that just meant that nature was healing and we were all back. There was, though, a, a, a guy. And I, I'm not sure what the punchline was, <laughs> but there was a sign. They were showing a couple fans on the Jumbotron. And a guy held up a sign that said, Kane bet on the bombers or bet on the tie cats or something like that. So like the Evander Kane story still gets run. And even at a blue bomber football game, someone was taking a shot at Evander uh, with all the troubles that he's been having. And he's now ended up on BSO. And when our man, Robert Latal has entered the chat, Remus, Hmm. um, you know, you're probably in some sort of trouble, which Evander Kane certainly seems to be in. Yeah. And one other thing that was at the bomber game yesterday Guys coming dressed as Chris Trevler in fur coats, and two of them uh, tracked you down and grabbed a koozie off you. Uh, shout out to these guys! I saw them taking pictures with fans. Uh, this is this is an all time all time picture on our Instagram. Huge so, huge hit. So they yeah. sent a pic. They sent a tweet at uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk and at Hustlerama. Uh, which I saw saying Hustler, we're on our way to the Rum Hut for a koozie. They are obviously listening to the show yesterday. So I made a point of saving two because if you roll in like that and call us out, we're definitely going to hook you up. But I believe one of those two dudes, Remus, is actually the host um, and helped me out with the pierogi eating contest at the Spirit of Ukraine Pavilion. Yes, exactly. So we got talking about that. They're all fired up to get it going again for next year. But yeah, the Strebler costumes were amazing. And Strebler himself, who uh, did a nice little cameo on the Jumbotron at the start of it and crushed a Bud Light, much to the delight of everybody, um, 
Strebler retweeted it, and he was getting a ton of people hitting him up with these guys doing it. But they were a huge, huge hit last night. Um, and you know what? That those guys sort of, I think, in a lot of ways, encapsulate just how much fun last night was. I mean, people getting up, people having some fun, people uh, getting together with old friends, and uh, those guys certainly in the area, in and around the Brugal Rum Hut, certainly did steal the show. So. Um, I have to say, you know who else stole the show? The koozies, Remus. The 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 koozies. You know, more and more people when they get a koozie, they realize why the heck didn't I have one already? But um, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot of cans being sold as much as they could do, and uh, they looked a lot better in those Winnipeg Sports Talk koozies. So, thank you to everyone that uh, shouted me out and asked for one from listening to the show yesterday. I will definitely be bringing another stockpile. When we get to the game, uh, I guess it's next fr- next Friday, beginning the home and home against the Toronto Argonauts. Yeah, next uh, next Friday. I'm just going through our Instagram story. So uh, you did post that and uh, people were definitely fired up. And we have had a couple a uh, couple people have had him. I dropped some off at uh, Jet Oil Tom's house earlier today. I know he's he's excited, but it's a week away and we'll get a look at the Argos against Calgary. Uh, MBT starting a quarterback. He can definitely sling it. I think he's kind of underrated. I'm curious what Calgary is going to look like. Um, you know, they seem to be on a bit of a decline, but I think they can still compete. They have a lot of dudes. We'll see about their defense, though. And we do have some games. What's the game tonight? BC Saskatchewan. I think it's going to be BC pa- Sask. BC, yeah, BC Sask, and then tomorrow is the doubleheader: Toronto and Calgary, and Edmonton and Ottawa. Um, a couple, yeah, Sean Lishka. Now they have to commit to the fur coats for every game. Trust me, those guys had so much fun. Uh, the guy on the right is in the Hoosley Ukrainian choir as well. Not sure if he's in the choir. He's definitely Ukrainian, and he is involved in the uh, Spirit of Ukraine Pavilion. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Our old, my old buddy Mike Lay from the True North office was in the uh, uh, was in the choir for a long time. Those guys, when it comes to anthems, maybe the best in the biz. Um, but anyways, a couple thanks. Uh, our buddy, the captain Murray Rempel, was there last night repping the Winnipeg Sports Talk logo on one of the hoodies from the Winnipeg Sports Talk store. Sometimes we forget to let you know, but if you if you didn't know already, we do finally have some merch. You can go to uh, the winnipegsportstalk.com, click on the store. Uh, there's the captain uh, looking great, and uh, man, those things turned out awesome. So uh, we, we, uh, we, we certainly love that. If you haven't already, check it out. And as Remus mentioned, we do have koozies. You can get a four-pack of them, and I think we uh, sold a few of them after the game, Remus. I, maybe people saw those and wanted to get on them, but they are available right now if uh, if you would like. Leighton Janice, thank you very much. Super chat, amazing week of shows. Riders suck. So glad that you were able to come in for the game last night and enjoy it with uh, all your friends back in the peg. Uh, but, Remo, yes, the koozies are available as we continue to grow things uh, that are out there for, uh, for our friends here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Yeah, people want to... Uh want a way to support what we're doing here uh you can do it with a super chat but also uh if you want to get something in return then we do have uh some stuff available at many different price points so uh, thank you everyone who's supporting because i know a lot of people see the stuff in the wild and are like winnipeg sports talk what's that because believe it or not there are people that don't know that we're here doing this and uh I, even when i was walking around the concourse i had people uh tapping me on the arm or yelling, hey, Remo, love the podcast. So uh, it was kind of cool. 
No, it it really was. They, no, the 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 reaction we had from folks yesterday was um was was just great. Um, everything about last night was great. From getting there to, I mean, listen, you know, we're first world problems. Oh, it took way too long to get a hot dog, or it was tough to get a beer, or something like that. Hey, listen, I'm sure that'll get fixed up. The bottom line is, it was a night to remember. Two years in the making, raising that new Grey Cup banner. And kicking things off with a big win in a Grey Cup rematch over the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Um, anyways, it's been a great week of shows. Cannot wait for next week. Uh, we'll, of course, have the latest on the Winnipeg Jets. What's going on in the Neil Pionk negotiations? We'll uh, be able to talk a lot of CFL after we've seen eight of the nine teams play their first game this week. Um, and much, much more wrapping the Olympics as well. What do you got going on this weekend, Reem? Anything uh Anything fun? Hey, Tyson Ducharme. Yeah, WST tailgate party. Trust me, we're going to work, work work on that as well. Yes, yes. Um, This weekend, well, I want to come to your house, uh, your place Sunday. I got to set up our new camera. I bought yeah. a new camera for you. I'm going to show you how to use it. I'm going to set it up in the appropriate position. I am. It's going to be better quality. Hopefully no glare off your glasses how lucky am i to have a cto like this we're gonna make a house call and it is funny like literally we've been doing this show for five months since march 8th was our first show with the exception of a couple drop-offs like i don't know how many times we've even been in the same place at the same time but you could count them on one or two hands that's for sure it's been like at least at most five times i did bump into you and a lot of people had trouble uh bumping into you uh, at the game, I did see you, and I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. I've talked to you, like, how many hours <laughs> over this the last five months? It's almost like I don't know what to do uh, when I see you when I saw you in person. It was, it was pretty funny. <laughs> Although it was tough because I'm, I'm walking around the concourse with a friend, and I'm trying not to get lost. So uh, my stop and chat time is limited. I did bump into uh, G Liverpool. I saw, I saw Rick Ralph um, on the concourse. Rick As was well. there. It was great yeah. to see Rick. Now, yeah. G Liverpool, he uh, he had uh, he tweeted at Gary, uh, informing him that he would be showing up with both of his championship rings. I saw one, one. for the Gold Eyes, one for the Bombers. I I missed the the GFL. I but, only saw uh, the Bomber one, and I know they were selling those replica rings. They sound uh, they sound pretty sweet. But what else I got? Oh yeah, you know what I have? I have a wedding on Saturday. Uh, Whoa! Yeah, first one in a while, and. No, there was, they used to have like... Zoom wedding? Zoom wedding? No, uh, it's just a party <laughs> on Saturday. So it used to be, you know, have shifts. Be like, okay, you can cut this shift 7 to 8.30, the next shift, you know, 9 to whatever. And um, now they're just like, ah, screw it. Just, you know, the rules have changed. I'm whenever, you know, you don't have to leave at the time we told you. So that's going to be new. For me. First oh, time, nice. first time in a while. Bravo Bra asking, how many Gitchcoin does a hoodie cost? And <laughs> Lishka, 420 Gitchcoins. That that sounds yeah. about right for you, Gitch. Oh, and it sounds like there's some disc golf going down at Happy Land on Saturday. May have to get in on that. Um, you know, I, I guess we'll wrap it up. I mean, what an amazing week of shows. What a great day. And what this is one of the most fun shows we've ever had. Uh, because I think you can tell I'm still buzzing over last night, being able to see so many of you, the reaction we're getting for what we're doing here. And bottom line, just getting back in, celebrating the Great Cup Championship and seeing the Bombers kick off the season in such impressive fashion. But it was much more than what happened on the field. It was about us getting together again as sports fans in our beautiful stadium and doing what we love to do. And then to have our Canadian women pull off that gold medal victory today. Um, we'll be talking about this for years 
Um, and we'll certainly, I'm sure, be talking about her as well next week. Can't wait. We'll hook up with Des Scott at some point for sure. Um, but it's been a very, very fun 24 hours if you are a sports fan with a pulse here in the city of Winnipeg, both for the Bombers and Des and the Canadian women's national team. Um, do want to thank our newest sponsor, Canadian Club. Mix in a CC, maybe in ginger ale or something on the weekend. You can pick those up at all of your local liquor stores. Um, and the Jim Beam Stillhouse, the Brugal Rum Hut, all available at Bomber Games. We'll be having a few of those next Friday and uh, looking forward to some great giveaways and um, doing some fun stuff with them now uh, with the uh, Beam Suntory team on board with us. So really appreciate them and uh, coming on board with us. Of course, Royal Sports, not Autocorp, Paramount Services Limited, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Little Brown Jug, Assiniboia Downs, Breezy Bend Country Club, Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge, and CoolBet.com. Everybody, Thank you. It was a great week. We'll do it again on Monday. Have an awesome weekend. Bask in the glory of a pretty great 24 hours in sports. Enjoy the rest of the Olympics, the rest of CFL kickoff weekend. And we'll talk all about it back here on Monday on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Have a great weekend, everyone. And thanks for joining us. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.